I'm Tim Grosby and welcome to episode 32 down the track. Sean Whip joins me once again. Welcome, Sean. Thanks for having me, Tim. We're, we're back again. We've, we've gone two for two with, with guests. Oh, we unprecedented. Have, we've had one of the most delightful characters on the Victorian athletics scene walk into our studio. Who may that be? <laughs> uh, yeah, we have uh, one of our very recently qualified uh, 2020 Tokyo Olympians, uh, Jemima Montag. Welcome. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. No, awesome. I think timing, you know, Jemima and I have been trying to... T- well, actually, we're going to get you before World Unis, I think. It goes back a while, this one, but finally got you, and the timing is everything, isn't it? Yeah, obviously, um, fortuitously booked it in well just after the uh, basically the Olympic <laughs> selection trial, so it's good that everything went well. Tim psychic. Could have been tough otherwise. Yeah, had, yeah so I, was, I was watching the results on Sunday quite closely. Thinking, oh, I hope this goes well. <laughs> yeah, I hope this, this Tuesday morning could be really, really good or mm. quite sombre, but Jemima, <laughs> you nailed it. Thank you. <laughs> so, welcome aboard. I'm looking forward to this episode. Should be an absolute cracker. Similar to last last time with Marty. What a character he is. And um, so, Jemima, welcome aboard, and let's get going with episode 32. Let's lead off Melbourne Track Classic. So, the big athletic meet for 2020 so far in Melbourne. Yep. Um, obviously, Zatapec for us is very, very important. But True. Melbourne Track Classic is where everyone comes together. All the disciplines. Sean, let's throw to you for your top three track performances of the night. Yeah, I think obviously the the focus of the night was always going to be on the 5,000 metre events um, and it was pretty great for everyone in attendance that there were pretty different scripts in both the men's and women's races in that the women's race probably had greater ramifications for the rest of the year than the men's race did. Um, so I think probably the, the comfortable top sort of performance would have been from, from Jess Hull um, in the sense that I guess we saw her really early in the season. Um, I think she just sort of did the, the club thing and ran the LB Thomas Mile for Bankstown. Um, and I know she'd sort of said to um, basically the Bankstown club folk in the lead-up, they'd sort of had a dinner and she said, oh, look, I, I really haven't done a lot of running. And I think everyone sort of expects that from um, you know, professional athletes. They're very usually pretty self-deprecating and try and say that things aren't going to go very well. But I think she honestly you know, hadn't done a lot since Doha. Didn't do too well, got beaten, um, yeah, went back to Phoenix um, with her training group and trained for sort of four or five weeks. Um, obviously ran Boston indoors, broke the Australian 1500 metre record and beat a really classy field and one of her training partners in um, Constance Klosterhelfen. Um, and yeah, then turned up in Melbourne, obviously with everyone thinking, oh wow, okay, she's, yeah, she's back sort of thing. Um, but we obviously had a few little... I guess hurdles to go over there in the sense that um, you know, Hitomi Nia from Japan was always going to pull the pace around pretty spectacularly at the start because that's sort of her her style um and yeah that, that probably asked questions of a few more athletes than we expected in the field obviously yeah and you, you had the gregson factor as well so jen just hung on beautifully yeah. for as long yeah as and i think that's sort of jen's thing that yeah. regardless of whatever the final result will be you know she's never going to sit back off whatever the the sort of race main main part of the race is um so she's going to run for a win yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and I think yeah, it's that last 500 from Jess and, and just clicking off about a 65-second last lap just looked very, very simple and wasn't under any real sort of pressure. So, you know, often as, as distance sort of spectators, we're quick to say, oh, you know, how, how fast could you know, could Jess have run? Was there pressure A, B, C, D, you know, all these variables? And we'll never know. But, um, well, I, I think we know she can go quicker. Yeah, yeah. And obviously her she's only really run one competitive professional 5K outside of that um, in Berlin last year and ran flat um but 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 having 
in the field, obviously, that meant that the pace was going to be decent and honest. They weren't going to be hanging back. When, when you talk about the men's, yeah. that was a, a factor there. Mm. Uh, but you could just sense with Fania there wasn't that... Well, there was a little bit of an extra gear, but not. she's not a 1,500-metre runner. No, no, she, she's definitely someone who sort of specialises at 10,000 metres and tends to run either side of it in, in 5,000 or, or the half marathon, depending on what sort of part of training she's doing. Um, but, yeah, it was just cool to see the effect that had on the rest of the field and, you know, obviously people like Jenny Blundell and um, I think em- Emily Brickacek and yeah. Rose Davies, you know, also ran PBs. So. Yeah, we keep talking about the, the amount of sub-16 women and I think, yes, yet again, we just added a few more names to that list. Yeah, because we had, we had 14 at the start of the... that were in the race at the start of it, which we sort of thought was, yeah, definitely the most we'd ever had. So, I think yeah. Jess takes the, the pretty easy number one there and, yeah. and it's, yeah, it's, it's cool to have another sort of, I guess possibly you know, generational sort of superstar on that side and, and to see how she sort of um, grows up over in probably the US um, from now and how the media sort of tackles that one. Well, what's your second one? Um, yeah, I think think second one is still probably Stewie uh, McSwain in the sense that, you know, a lot of stats got bandied about in the sense that 2K is a very weird distance um, that we don't see it very often. The last time we probably saw 2,000 metres as a... A stock race would have been in the Craig Mottram era. Um, he did enjoy it as a specific sort of tune-up distance. Um, but uh, I think it's just interesting to see what that field did when they didn't really know what, you know, with no Pat Tiernan or no Morgan McDonald, um, there was just like this enormous gap and sort of unknown. So, you know, Stewie sort of mucked around at the back for five or six laps or however, however many it was, probably seven-odd. Um, and then, yeah, last 2K, off he went. But I think... Um, it was exactly seven and a half laps that he mucked around because it was yeah, right on the two. Right on the two K. Yeah, so five laps out. So obviously it was on. Yeah, you know, he sort of said he was trying to replicate what's likely required of him at, at the Olympics or at a, at a top level. Um, and yeah, as, as we sort of said throughout the night on stadium commentary, it's a, it's an awesome problem for him to have um, that he may have to pick effectively between three different events. Um, and I think in in bits and pieces in interviews over the last eighteen months, he does seem to err towards the five K as an event where he feels like he's a better chance. Um, well, in a championship type race now, when you're you know putting out consistent sixty sixty ones over five laps mm. and finishing in five oh three for two k, you could be a factor. Yeah, and the, it and depends on how it plays out. But I feel like yeah, the the regular debate whether it's accurate enough or not is that you know you need to be able to run sub four minutes for the last four laps and probably close in something under fifty three seconds for the last lap in a major championship five k. And yeah, I think Joey just kind of accepted that and now sort of has all the. Uh, ancillary tools that you'd need yeah. to be able to do that. Yeah, trying to build those gears up. Yeah, and, and I guess the only thing that is a really difficult variable, um, especially sort of being in Doha and seeing it happen, is is how brutal those heats are as well of the 5K and in often yeah. they're well, a lot harder than just sort of ticking a box and, and getting through to the final. So it should be pretty cool to see how he goes. And you know, we've obviously seen in some of the newspapers this week there's there's now more of a comparison with, you know, the, the Mottram records and how far or close he is to, to all those times and... Um, I think, yeah, as, as much as honest as he was down in Tassie with the Christmas carnivals and, and that sort of media, he just said, look, I've just got to try and be a bit better than I was last year. Like, he doesn't really see the point in trying to overcomplicate it. It's just that if he can do everything he did last year and do it a bit better, you know, if, if you're already at a point where you may be the second best sort of 1,500 to 10K guy we've, we've ever had, or best 10K guy, 10,000 metres, um, you get 1% to 2% better and, you know, <laughs> maybe that's what gets you a medal. But, um, yeah, it'd be really fascinating to see especially what he does in the lead-up now because he doesn't really have... Well, 1,500 is almost a bit of fun for him. Mm. Yeah, it's like, a, it's like a distance he doesn't have to do very often. Um, and I think the third's really tough because I think we did have a number of people who didn't get 
sort of too downtrodden by any sort of conditions or assumptions about the Melbourne track and just sort of took out it as, a, as an opportunity. The new Melbourne track? Yes, the, the bluer Melbourne track with yeah. some, some black um, sort of features on the side. Um, but yeah, I think when you sort of go, f- I think it's fourth all time for Liz Clay, um, yeah. was pretty wild in the hurdles, um, especially because, you know, Lakeside comes with a reputation that's not a super quick um, sprint track. And um, yet Sally has performed beautifully on the Melbourne track on a wet night too. Yeah, and so. I think we've had, you know, your, your Pearsons and your Radishes and stuff who've yeah. acted as outliers of sorts. Um, but... Yeah, I, th- I think um, also the fact that, you know, Sharon Hannon, Liz Clay's coach, uh, previously coached Sally Pearson for yep. pretty much her entire career um, and had noted as well that, you know, I'd sort of been at an under-19s camp at the AIS where they'd interviewed Sharon and, you know, everyone had sat there in a forum discussion for the better part of sort of two hours and she sort of reiterated that she thought her best sort of technical coaching job was with Liz because she doesn't have a great deal of 100-metre speed um, at the moment. And, you know, she'd had almost three years between PBs and she'd run a PB a couple of weeks ago in Brisbane in awful conditions. So, obviously, something was clicking. Something was working. Um, Were you yeah. front stand or back stand, Jemima, to watch it? at the? I was on the back straight. Back straight. So, yeah. you wouldn't have seen the hurdles as close up as, as others in the front straight? No, I was focusing <laughs> in on the triple jump. The tri- oh, which that, that's your part-time event, is it? The triple. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, which, which, namely, to be fair, Julian Conlay jumped a huge PB jump. Oh, hang on, you're, you're coming yeah, into my territory going now. Off, but, yeah. um, no. <laughs> Um, but no, I think that's interesting for Liz because obviously I, I think with Sally's sort of departure from the sport, um, there'd been big questions around who was going to sort of fill the metaphorical shoes and how long that would take. And you know, obviously got um, Celeste Mucci and Brown Abian and um, Michelle Janicki as well. And, yep. and they're all sort of big names in the sport too. Um, but yeah, just competition as many a quick to say breeds competition. So yeah, exactly right. But I, I, was on, I was on the infield watching that hurdle mm. and um and after seeing people like Pearson before on that yeah. track and be perfectly execute the hundred hurdles yeah. that's what i saw from Clark. well that's that's sort of what matt lynch said on the live stream yeah. as well and, and he's you know seen a lot of hurdles and a lot of sprints in his time yeah. and he said you know you, you hate to say it but everything sort of just went perfectly it was yeah. like great start great over every hurdle yeah. technically push, push all the way to the end and, and, and that's the hannon way yeah and it's a great um i guess it's a great clip in, in terms of photography or video in the sense that you know Liz had enough time to sort of head check over to the clock and see the numbers flash up and everything and that's always a, a fun bit of sprinting I think yeah well first time sub, sub 13, 13. Yeah. And, and well you know look she yeah, chunked comfortably her, under her, her, her PB it was, yeah. I mean, she was 13 20 something beforehand so yeah, that's was, a huge amount huge. to take off yeah. yeah and I think that was evident in the post race interview with Tams and the fact that she really couldn't string a sentence yeah. together and was just <laughs> trying to trying to keep operating on autopilot sort of thing yeah, a little bit like Jemima on Sunday yes um, <laughs> So, three in the field, Tim. Three. Um, yeah, in the field, any honourable mentions, though, Sean, for track? Because there were some other people. Yeah, yeah. So, I'd say yeah. Um, often in a lot of these Grand Prix events, you know, there is... Um, well, the hardest thing is you can't you can't seat it like a milers because mm. often you've got limited spots and you can't go down to the H heat. So, yeah. you know, some people are in the A, some people in the B, some people don't get a run, so yeah. on and so on. Um, but it was good to see um, two of the juniors sort of got given a chance in the men's A800. Um, and Felix Lonergan was on pace and the field sort of kind of went with him. Um, probably good that Melbourne Uni's Matt Scott did uh, bite, sort of bite the bullet and, and get on the front and Geordie Williams slotted in behind him and then in third spot was Jack Lunn who is this sort of evolving humorous uh, little APS product in the sense that, you know, he's, I guess he did run in 20, um, 
did run in 2018, did sort of school laths and stuff and ran maybe 155 and so did the standard year 11, I guess, things. And, but didn't nothing that sort of suggested he'd go to the levels which he has now. So year 12, he you know, ran sort of a solo 151 at one of those weekend APS meets. But I guess a lot of us that keep an eye on the 800 noticed that he almost split about 118 high, 119 through 600 in doing it, which is quite a bold way to have a crack at a solo 800. So sometimes you get kids in middle distance, I guess, who aren't so aware of what a accepted protocol for racing so they kind of just do whatever floats their boat and they're usually quite aggressive in racing and we saw that again with jack you know on um thursday night in that he you know, basically said to his coach afterward um oh i felt the pace slow down a bit between sort of 450 and 550 and i wanted to try win the race so i tried to win the race so he hit the front with 200 but, to go yeah i think that's an attitude or something we've mentioned before on the podcast mm. if you try and win a race Chances are you're going to go okay. Yeah. You know, and, and if it's all about trying to win and getting yourself in and always being in a position to win, mm. the time will follow. Whereas a lot get time obsessed or mm. pacer obsessed and they forget about the actual nature and the craft of winning. Well, it was interesting as well because then you see a guy like Luke Young who's been in the sport for quite a while and has, has been at a, a sort of touted sort of junior level for quite a while, you know, around 150 last year and 344. So he was sort of seen as one of these kids coming into the season where it was, oh, he'll definitely get the qualifiers, which is often a little bit harder to do than yeah. previously thought. Um, and he sort of missed one at Milers, and you know it was obviously a bit frustrated by that and so he drops down to 800 and um, he was last at the bell you know, he was sort of playing the other game where it was like oh okay I expect this to go out really fast yep. I'll sit off the back and see what happens and, yeah, and then yeah literally the last 50 he came absolutely yep. zooming through the field um, and almost almost snatched the win off Jordy Williams but um, yeah they're, they're two exciting young guys yeah. that should have a really good dust up at nationals as well and, and sort of depending on how, on how Luke Shaw goes as well in, in Perth then you know it's a, it's a crowded house in under 2,800 running. Yeah, we won't talk too much more about the track, but probably two other races I will mention. The the B, you're talking about B races, the B5000, two of mm-hmm. our up-and-coming juniors, Hayne yeah, and Marks, and Marks had a yeah. really good, in 14-17 to win the B heat yep. is uh, pretty special. Hayne taking that from Marks, so mm. that battle continues. What about women's 400? Yeah, I think the it's probably an indicator of how spectacularly good and consistent someone is when we you know someone runs 52 low and we just think oh okay it's another run yeah and I think that's the point Bandero boy is at at the moment where it it was funny seeing her in Tassie at the grass carnivals because she was over these like weird distances like 120 and you know all these things she wasn't really used to and and she did just seem to have fun with it you know it was just a big training weekend and um, yeah then you get her back in these 400 meter races and it's just cool to see she's very much got her own plan in a race and you know Annalise Ruby Renshaw got out quite fast and, and Bendera didn't really seem to react to that it was just like she had her little phases of the race and ticked everything off and came home really really strong and you know she's at a level now where the next step is sort of making an Olympic final which is always a, a pretty phenomenal achievement on track when you've got sort of three rounds to get through but um, yeah we'll, we'll watch that with great interest and, and see what happens. Now, you mentioned Julian Conley before. I think he was probably the pick of the bunch in the field. Well, there's a couple of good performances, but uh, the, the triple, I was out there doing commentary for fields. So I was intimately yeah. involved, which is really nice. And the difference between commentary in the field and commentary for track is that you're actually up there with the, you're in, in amongst the athletes. It's yeah, awesome. you're right there. Yeah, right there. You're, you know, you're high-fiving, you're you know, giving, egging them on, all that sort of stuff. And it's good fun. But um, the triple was just going to plan. You know, Aora was going really well. Um, 
uh, who else? Who else was up there? We, um, Elwyn was, of course, Elwyn's nice and consistent, going well as well. And then I think it was round four, Conlay just pops 16.66. And uh, I haven't got Tarby's superlatives in front of me, but it just propelled him right up. I think it was the longest um, or the best performance by an Australian for quite a few years. Something like seven years, I think. Yeah, yeah. and it just came... He was ticking along okay, but then, bang, the 16.66 legal came through mm. and, wow, they just turned that competition right on its head. So. Yeah, I guess field events are kind of strange yeah. like that in the sense yeah. that things can surreptitiously, yeah. surreptitiously sort of all come together in yeah, one attempt. It, got it all there, um, you know, perfect positioning on the board and then just launched and uh, it, it was really good to see. Uh, other performances out there too, Ned Weverly is back. We all love Ned and it is great to have him back. He's had this little sabbatical. I think he was looking at getting in the police force. I'm not sure how that's going. We'll have to check up on that. Yeah. And, uh, he trimmed down. Uh, he's looking fantastic and a PB of 68.50 in the hammer. Um, only got one yellow or nearly a yellow card for swearing, which, you know, for Wed, uh, Ned, that's pretty he's, good. He gets a bit excited. He does get excited. But that's yet again as part and parcel of the the hammer. And, and sometimes you've got a feel for the hammer. Or it was sort of good and bad in a way. It was the first event of the night starting yeah. at 10 past five. Yeah. Hardly anyone's there. You know, you've got, you know, a couple of the seagulls were watching and that's about <laughs> it. Uh, yeah, Tom Nixon and I were sort of trying to do some, some hype up for the yeah. hammer because yeah, just let everyone know it was on. The, the good thing is that we were, able to then call a lot of the, the throws and the beauty about Ned when he's in a field is that he is going to get everyone revved up yeah know? so you know just his vibe and you know it, it, it really is quite palpable out there in the hammer to have a personality like that I'm not saying the others aren't um, you know don't have personality but yeah but um, there was certainly a young kid from New Zealand who was throwing uh, his 18 year old strapping okay. lad and he got close to his PB as well so yep. yet again the Kiwis and it was great to see the Kiwis here in force on Thursday night particularly yeah. in the field uh, yeah. they were more so in the field I think than on the track and they've got some excellent programs going mainly with Australian coaches I think but um, <laughs> yeah John Aiden and Dale Stevenson yeah and um, yes and Kimmy Mickles over there now too uh, yeah I'm not yeah. sure yeah yeah so I think there's you know they've pinched a few of ours <laughs> but but you know there's been a, a theme in New Zealand for quite a while is to have you know good strong front because similar to us they've got to think well okay you go internationally where can we go well? And, you know, in the middle and long, you've got the Kenyans, Ethiopians and, you know... Well, I think, uh, yeah, I think the thing with New Zealand is they've always been seen as having a very strict selection policy yep. for almost any Everything. Event. But their whole thing is that, I guess, pretty repeatedly, you know, you see them take teams of 15 and 20 total to yep. major events and, sure, all those athletes do tend to do very, very well. And, yeah, I don't know, you'd, you'd sort of have to get the spreadsheet out and try and figure out if there was any sort of correlated long-term effect, but... It sort of seems that all Kiwis just accept that there's not really it's, a way around it. A team. Although they seem, yeah, with that half marathon team they're sending to the World Half, well, that's yeah, a good they, sign. They, they do seem to use yeah. not, well, not that it's not a major yeah. championship effectively, but yeah. they, they use events that aren't, you know, the Olympics World Championships um, as events to try and develop people, which is good. All right. Let's move on. The last event I want to concentrate on with the field, women's jab, Mackenzie Little, just ticking along nicely. Are yep. you, without CAF... Um, you know, out there, then she becomes the number one Australian. And what I noticed with her is the demeanour is very professional. She's um, she's a smart girl. Oh, and she'll she's be two-time NCAA champ. Yeah, hung exactly. out at Stanford for yeah. four years. Yeah. It's pretty much the highest performance environment imaginable, Correct. both and academically and athletically. She'll be. Uh, I think she's on again at Canberra this week. As yeah, well, well so I think she's based in Canberra. Apparently, yeah. she's trying to do medicine, just yeah. as you do. So you know, another string to the bow, metaphorically there. <laughs> 
We also had uh, another one of the Kiwis, Tory Peters, got very close to the New Zealand record. And these sort of things can go under the radar, if you don't know. So 57.00 was yep. is the, um, the New Zealand, which she holds. Yeah. And I was just egging her on, come on, do it for the Melbourne crowd. Just get <laughs> the, yeah, a bit over 57. But I think she got 56.72. So she's close. And yeah, then again, she'll be throwing again uh, this week in Canberra. So cool. let's see if we can get a New Zealand record on Aussie soil. Mm. That'd be great. So look, MTC, uh, Jemima, you were in the crowd. The crowd's not big, is it? You know, it's... it's a bit disappointing, I think. Yeah, looking around and what do you reckon? Uh, a couple I think of thousand, maybe. Yeah, I thought actually for a lakeside stadium event, it was pretty exciting. I think I think it's tricky because you know we're we're stuck in this bind between you have to have if you want to have an event like the Melbourne Track Classic and it, you know you want it at a certain level of classification, you have to have it at a certain type of venue with a certain number of resources. Um, and I think we saw at Box Hill, you know, we had Zadapak there. Sure, feature event is almost effectively one event on the track, um, plus a relay and some under 20 events. And, you know, as a distance, almost specialist meet with some pole vault, um, it goes very well. But I, I don't know, I just feel like to play devil's advocate, you know, the, the governing bodies are bound a little bit by where you have these events. But I agree that it's hard with Lakeside because you could get 3,000 people there and it would still look kind of empty because I think mm. it seats sort of 10,000 odd. Yeah. Yeah, uh, crowd involvement and engagement was good though, wasn't it, Jemima? That's yeah. one thing, especially with, with some of those really exciting races and uh, you could just sense that the, the mood got up. And even over the back side or the, the far side with the, the jumps in particular, the crowd engagement there was awesome. Yeah, and I think because the, but in both the 5Ks there were sort of points that got going quite early in yep. the sense that you know, the pace was on from basically the first kilometre with the women and with the men, you know, 2K to go, Stewie takes on. off and, you know, huge credit to Sam McEntee for not just letting someone have a national title. Yep. Actually decided, oh, we might make a race of this. Yep. Um, and unfortunately for Sam, you know, at that level of running, he only managed to two and three-quarter laps and then thought, oh, hang on, this is, this is some uncharted territory. But, yeah. yeah, it was good to see at least someone have a crack. Exactly. No, it was really good. And, yeah, the credit to Sam for, for having a go. So mm. he, so the guy has been to the event yep. at the Olympics. Like yeah. He's, yeah, <laughs> like, he's like no deal. Because he's had some up and down. It's like he comes back and he's like, well, I, I'm pretty good at this. So I'm, I might as well have a go. So that was cool to say. Cool. All right. Well, that's it. Melbourne Track Classic. So hopefully next year, let's get some more bums on seats. So Sunday 9th of February was a pretty big day in Adelaide, wasn't it, Miss Montag? Yes, we had the 20-kilometre race walking national titles down there, which also were our Olympic trials. And we had the Oceania Under 20 10K event as well, with some Victorians featuring quite well there. Now, beautiful circuit they use. uh, I I hear it's very popular with the walkers, the War Memorial Drive in, in Adelaide, right next to the Torrens River and right next to the zoo. The zoo, yep. So that makes for a few interesting sound effects. <laughs> you can kind of hear some lions and elephants having some fun while but you're But as you're walking. saying, also the, the male walkers having a few grunts and groans as yeah, well, well, trying to blend in. <laughs> in the, over the last few kilometres, you, uh, it, it felt as though they were communicating with the animals next door at the zoo, but that was fun. Now, your prep for this one must have been pretty spot on. So it, it had a lot of ramifications, this event, because it was the, basically the selection trial for the Olympic Games. Going into it, did you know sort of what you had to do or was there a plan or, you know, because Katie Hayward's been walking well. She's got a faster 20k PB, I think, than you have. Uh, so nervous times or were you sort of pretty much on con- in control of this one? Yeah, so one year ago at this event, Katie and I both did the automatic time for the Olympics. Yeah. So um, we knew that that box had been ticked and... 
luckily for me, over all of January, um, we have this big training camp with a lot of the people who are going to be in the race. It's normally at the AIS, but it actually got moved to Melbourne this year because of the smoke. Air quality. Yeah, you're getting my way as I was driving around Albert Park. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So... I guess that's a bit of an advantage because you've been training with most of your competitors in the field for the entire month leading up and you, you have a bit of an idea of how people are going just based on speed sessions and the races we'd done as part of the camp. Um, but I knew that, yeah, it was going to be the winner that was named on the day um, and that even if I was second or third, perhaps I'd be safe with that auto time done 12 months ago. But I wanted more than anything to be able to to know as soon as possible. So it must be a good feeling. When let's you know go through the race now because we, we, AV were providing fantastic coverage as we've <laughs> been told. Um, big thanks to Glenn Turner who was over there, but also the Piets were were really s- just pumping through the stuff, which Smashed was it. awesome. Yeah, they networked a bit and get the get the juniors on board as yeah. impromptu reporters. Yeah, no, it was, <laughs> it was then and Kerry as well and yeah. um, this one too. They were all just flowing stuff through to us, which was great. But when did the break come with with Katie? How did you sort of get really late? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what happened was, um, I think there were a bit of there was extra nerves on board from everyone. There was. Um, different pressure for different athletes but um, it was also hotter than anyone expected mm. um, we've had that ath- that race in Adelaide for the last five years in a row and because it's a 7am start it's never really that hot yep. the sun's only rising as you're going to the call room um, but it was actually about 32 degrees the day before and it never got cool overnight mm, so it was yeah. warmer and yeah. kind of a heavier air than anyone was prepared for really mm. so that meant that mixed with the nerves and pressure meant that the pace was really slow from the start and often if there's a slow first kilometer someone looks at their watch freaks out and yep. yeah. bumps it down 15 seconds but that just never happened and we kept ticking over it was at quite about a pack and you had a few of the boys in the pack as well yeah 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 does that make you a bit nervous though jemima because you know with you know heels coming together or feet coming together at yeah. all does it have uh, much in the walks like it does in some of the middle yeah, or long distance there's a bit of tripping um yeah. and you know you an elbow Especially around and drink stations and yeah things like that. It can i think be messy. The big pack's only scary at the drink station, really, yeah. especially on a hot day when yeah. you don't want to miss Mixed your yeah. water yeah. or something to pour on your head. Um, but I guess, yeah, we're used to walking in packs. Um, mm. No one's got a lane, so yeah. <laughs> that's how it is. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so it was, a, it was a mixture of the top women, uh, maybe five or six of us with a couple of men yeah. as well. Um, and, yeah, the 4.45 pace and... To give perspective, normally it's 4.30 for PB target pace. Um, Just kind of kept rolling. But what was going through my head is that um, you've done the auto time already. Mm. And today really is about executing the final step in in this plan. And that's secure the auto selection. So I thought actually maybe given that it's a hot day, maybe it's fine if I just sit back in the pack and let them you know let the pace be whatever it is um and really just conserve as much energy as possible because 20k or an hour and a half is is a long time so yeah i just thought i'm just going to see how this unfolds and really stay on top of my headspace the whole thing ended up being a mental dialogue just um you know little questions or negative thoughts or queries arise and you've just got to be able to um answer them and and stay in control, I think, was the big thing for me. Um, so the pack thinned out as we progressed through the race. By the 10 or 12 kilometre mark, it was just Katie, myself and Becky Smith, um, who's made an awesome comeback in the last few months um, post-com games. 
and then by perhaps the 14 or 15 kilometer mark it was just Katie and I who'd pushed ahead um, and this was exactly what Athletics Australia predicted in their little race preview that sorry my race preview oh sorry <laughs> which Tim wrote they borrowed that one yeah and yeah it was um, the Haywood or Montag that is the question and so yeah we were prepared for this and even though it feels a little scary in the moment because you don't know how it's going to unfold, um, I'm practicing embracing those nerves and mm. using them to fuel me rather than being scared of them and shying away. So, yeah, I, I was feeling in control and I was feeling excited and, and still a little nervy, of course, um, but just trying to plan when my move would be. Yeah. Now, um, is, is the move a, a surge as such or is it just keeping strength and just gradually... Yeah. Increasing that pace. It required a surge this yeah. time. So there's um, just a little bit of a push and just see what yeah. the response was. Yeah. And did you then feel that the drop-off came? Yeah, I think when you're running or race walking next to someone, hmm. you there are a few indications of how they're feeling. Um, you might be able to detect a faster breathing rate or um, some facial expressions or something technically that, that indicates that um, there's a bit of discomfort happening yeah. at a certain point. Um, yeah, and I think I was trying to pick um, a landmark. Or I think you need when you're going to yeah. make a move, you need yeah. kind of a bell lap or a yeah. something to just go. Um, and this was quite an interesting course. There was the main drink station. There were two other drink stations just with water. There was a bit of an uphill and a downhill. There were the two point turns. So there was plenty of opportunity of where yeah. you kind of go. Mm-hmm. So I was thinking, do I kind of fly down the hill? Do I <laughs> rebound off the drinks table? Do yeah. I fly around a cone? Um, but in the end, um, it just felt right. The second last drink station, um, I poured this icy water over my head and it was just, Boom. that is the nicest thing ever when yeah. you're that hot at the 18 kilometer mark. Yeah. Icy water went over and without thinking, I just it just felt right. So I... I put the accelerator on um, and that was enough to just create a couple of metres of distance um, and get a bit of a a confidence boost, I guess. And Mm, um, it it felt like I was just not running, walking (laughs) (laughs) just towards something, guns blazing. Yeah, Yeah. walking towards Sapporo. The finish line. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Sapporo. For all intents and purposes, that's that's, the, the net result with this one. So crossing the line... Must have felt pretty good. Yeah, yeah. For, those, for Sean and I have never been to an Olympics. Um, no. <laughs> no I went, oh, sorry, I went to Sydney. Oh, you, you spectacular. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that's the thing. Like we, you know, over the next three or four months, yeah, we're going to read endless copy and see the hundreds and hundreds of interviews with, uh, you know, a number of different people who are attending the, or who are competing at the Olympics. And I feel like a lot of people sort of differ between they don't have really any explanation for how it feels. It's, it's more like mm. this sort of ethereal, just, you know, it's probably 10, 15 odd years of work and you tick this box and there's this event there every four years and you go, great, get, <laughs> I get to have a go at that. Um, whereas other people, you know, can articulate sort of a, you know, obviously a selection race or a, or a moment and that sort of thing. And I, and I guess for you, obviously the hardest thing is that with their, with it not being a sport where there's a gradual build up to it or like a collection of points or there's, yeah. you know, you've sort of just got this race where you go, okay, well, I've got a time qualifier and I sort of know that this could, you know, this day could be the sort of determinant. Um, did you have enough time in maybe the last K or so to, to enjoy it a little bit? Yeah, I think so. I think because I made that surge with, say, two and a half kilometres left, um, there was scope in the last 
kilometer or so down. And you're getting feedback from others that, or you knew that. Yeah, but also with the nature of our two kilometer Uh, loop, looping around you're seeing. You go around a witch. It's like in a fun run. You go around a witch's head, and you can kind of see um, what's going on. But yeah, I mean, if I had to articulate how it feels, um, I've kind of got three words, and that is sacred, exciting, and motivating. So sacred in the sense that. Um, I know this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity that's not afforded to many at all. Mm. Um, exciting in the sense that it's been a childhood dream since I was seven, starting Little Aths down at Caulfield. Yeah. Um, something that we'd chat about at Little Aths. Like, I remember you'd be on yeah. the long jump run-up <laughs> and someone would be like, oh, we can all be Olympians one day. <laughs> and I think at that age, you almost talk about it like it's a given. Like, yeah, we're doing little right. ads now and then we'll do big ads and yeah. then we'll go to the Olympics. Like, yeah. yeah. And then you go through a phase maybe in your teenage years where it feels completely unlikely and um, the self-doubt kicks in and you're not really sure. And you realise sure. how hard it is and yeah. how you go. Yeah, as you, you mature. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's been like just the word. The Olympics has given me butterflies to this day. So it, it does feel really exciting to have that um, come true. And then... The final word, motivating, I guess, in the sense that now, we, as athletes, we always talk about our why or our purpose. Yeah. And I think now that feels stronger than ever. And I think it'll give me greater capacity to reach out to, to more people, especially young people, um, and inspire them. And with that extra support on board, I think yeah. um, cool things are possible. Because I think um, now you've become a, a bit of a specialist with warm weather races because I know, yeah. I think... I used a, to be scared of them. Yeah. Um, on the Gold Coast at Com Games, we had core temperature monitoring yep. um, pills up somewhere. And yep. yeah, my core temp got up to about 41, which is where um, right proteins edge, yeah. are denaturing. It's pe- not good. People just shut down, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think I was just this little young pocket rocket and... Yeah, not, just not too stressed too by it all. Just thought, oh, you know. Yeah. But then obviously um, um, there was a funny situation, Tim, where in Doha, obviously because the race started at midnight, midnight, <laughs> everyone was walking into dinner. or was at the back end of dinner, and in this in this team sort of dining area, and there's poor old Jemima sitting in the corner, like I was I, so nervous. iPod in, just looking absolutely yeah. terrified. And occasionally <laughs> you'd see like a more senior team member, like a Lyndon Hall or someone, or yeah, you know, would pop over and be like oh, you'll be fine, like, good luck. <laughs> and I think it was like maybe by the fourth or fifth person that had gone over and done the good luck or you'll be fine. You can sort of see your face was like, I know, but it's still, you know, 40 yeah, something degrees out there. Yeah. And I got to walk 20K. Yeah, and I got to walk 20K. I think when you overthought the Doha situation, it was a bit oh, overwhelming. Yeah, and it yeah. Just felt, like, felt like so much had gone into it on, yeah. you know, coping strategies and hate yeah. and, you know, how bad it was going to be. And yeah. then it wasn't and I guess so what, super bad. Yeah, I mean, we had Napoli as well, World Unis. Yeah, that was you've hot. really gone. Last year Gold was a Coast, hot, sweaty. Napoli, yeah. Doha. And now Tokyo, or Sapporo. Oh, and Adelaide yeah. as well, with yeah. sort of the trial race. Yeah, <laughs> so... It's like, She's fine. <laughs> She's fine. I guess other than that, I think <laughs> it's the... Oh, the, the last, like... Oh, I wonder if World Team... The World Team Champs in Belarus. Taichang, I oh. think, as well. It was, like, raining for a lot of it. Yeah, that was like, perfect yeah. weather. It's like, it yeah, you're, you're pretty spitting. much due a... Um, a cold one. <laughs> so might happen at the Olympics. But anyway. No, maybe in Minsk. Yeah, maybe. Can we talk about the men's race too? It's not all about you. Oh, yes. oh sorry. Yeah. 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 Let, let's try and get a little... <laughs> I, to be um, fair, I, even though there seems to be a strange... Oh, not strange, but two of the guys that I went to high school with were both in the race as well. Oh, really? Um, yeah, really. Yeah. Yeah. Melbourne High. Kyle yeah. was probably a little bit after me, but yeah. um, I was like, oh, I hope they go well. And especially we've had Ridian on the well, podcast before. And second and third. Second and third. Yeah. So, because yeah. I know we, we... I guess we see 
um, a little bit of Jess Rothwell as well. And she yep. kind of tries to keep us in the loop on all things race walking. And then occasionally we'll ring Brent and get a exact <laughs> an Excel spreadsheet, an exacting stance on the state <laughs> of race walking in Australia. Um, but yeah, we we sort of had a little bit of an indication going in that. Um, you know, Ridian and Kyle were in good spots form, yeah. um, and that I, I don't know, correct us if I'm wrong, but Dane maybe hadn't been in as super-duper form as usual or? Yeah, well, it's, I'm not sure because um, he doesn't come down to our big training camp. Sure. Um, just he described himself to us as being 94% fit and prepared okay. so, so i think he was saying yeah. you know he'd had he'd had a good block but yeah. not quite at his not best perfect, yeah. um but you know he executed the goal um of auto selection so yeah, exactly amazing yeah. job by him yeah and probably in hindsight not totally surprising given that yet again he is a big time performer mm, and huge. i think you know similar to what you've done on that day that can be that little x factor that separates you from the pack that mm. you as you say the mental side of it the preparation the coping mechanisms when you're out there actually walking yeah. and walking at limit uh and someone like dane i think's got that too so yeah. it didn't surprise me knowing that he wasn't 100 percent going in but it didn't surprise me that he won the thing either yeah and uh yeah. for the others they then have to do the chasing mm. ridian we hope will well I, I think ridian will go to Sapporo. yeah he's got I mean, the he's 50 done. as well so yeah. you know this was just the 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 icing on the cake to, you know if you can get uh it gives him the choices of what he can do in Sapporo. Mm. but um from my sources that we probably think he's going to line up in the 50. Yep. Uh, well it might be the uh, last 50 ever yeah, they're I was gonna just going to say that it could be the last 50 we're still yeah, we're still up the, in the um, air but it's thinking of the yeah. Yeah, so the other day the Court of Arbitration for Sport said that they basically didn't have like the wherewithal or, or it wasn't yeah. there I don't know it kind of seemed like they legally handballed it they kind of said oh it's, it's not our space to decide mm, whether that's the, right. so it's the up to the IWA World, World Athletics basically yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll make that call what, mm. what's your view on that one too? Oh, I think it's a real shame to to make changes to the 20 and 50 double. Um, I think it's special as race walkers to have that really challenging distance that the is just a tick further than the marathon. Yeah. Um, and in terms of track and field in Australia, I mean, race walking, especially the 50k men with the likes of Nathan Deeks, Luke Adams, Jared Talent, yeah. in the past has been one of our most successful events. Um, so, yeah, really sad if that does go, but... Yeah. Yeah, we'll and not surprising that's a consensus amongst the Australians well, as well. It's just strange because it. I know yeah. in reading in parts of that debate, uh, World Athletics has suggested in sections that, you know, rejigging the distance is available effectively that if they had a 30 or they had a you know, some sort mm. of odd distance that they brought in that was shorter or longer or whatever it may be, that that would somehow spark a new wave of popularity I don't in the sport. think so. I don't think... Well, I don't know. People in sports seem to get more attached to history than they do yeah. brand new sparkling events. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's like... Well, for a while they were talking about doing the half marathon for the walk. Now, it just has no relevance. <laughs> it's no, it's kind of like it, it's know, not viewed what, in the why? same sense. You know, yeah. we, we're used to the 10s, the 20s, yeah. and the, the 50s. 50s. Yeah. And, you know, the half marathon then, I know it might appeal to the fun runners, but the fun runners... Well, that's the thing. It's like, I don't think you're going to convert... No. Well, it's like, you know, no. even if the half marathon world records get yeah. broken in yeah. on the roads in running, it's like, a, I don't think it instantly has a conversion rate to people taking up yeah. half marathon training. Like, yeah. you know, fun runs are fun runs for that point because usually it's a social thing. Yeah. People do them. And I think what's more important to get to get people into the sport and to get viewers enjoying the races is um, to have really great commentary. Um, yeah, and, and it can be exciting. Yeah, just yeah. like awareness context. Of what goes yeah. into context it. context of what's Just understanding. Yeah. Yeah. And the relevance and there yeah. is, you know, with so many, as we said in the last podcast, 633,000 park runners in Australia, they understand what 5K means. Mm. What's your 5K PB for walk? 21.30. Yeah, well, there you go. How many yeah. park runners are doing that? <laughs> I certainly didn't on Saturday. No, you did not. <laughs> but, no. And that's the I other thing. Close. I, I do. Close I do up. like that as well that um, 
I know when the Colberts travel with their group to like world champs and stuff and when Dave does their commentary and stuff at the Olympics, he always makes like a massive fuss of getting hugely into the walks because it's like mm. it is something that Australia are usually very good at yeah. and it's like, well, instead of just kind of thinking, oh, that's nice, we'll let that happen, it's like we may as well give the people as much information yeah. as is available yeah. and you know, try and, and get people lots. into it. Yeah, because yeah. Yeah. Yeah, when I'm doing my research, you, yeah, and fortunately with, um, with Tim and his website, yeah. <laughs> how good is that? He's amazing. <laughs> Every stat you want yeah, about yeah, a walk yeah, and yeah, you yeah, can you get. You struggle yeah. to verify oh, qualifying no, no, times no, and stuff. No, no, it's, it's, he has two volumes of that book now, Once We're Walkers. <laughs> 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 a great resource, Mr. Erickson. Mm. Yeah. Uh, anyway, we will move on. Let's talk about the – I haven't got the results in front of me, unfortunately. They're still really hard to find. The 10Kers, the Oceania Champs. Um, we're not sure. We're not sure. We will try and catch up with them that mm. in the next one. But do you, AA, we're sort of doing all right, but we do – it's a results-driven sport, AA, so we do need to get some results <laughs> out, please, because mm. I, I can't see – apart from looking at some of the podium stuff, mm. I really don't know too much what happened in the 10Ks. And yeah. Jemima, you were – yeah, I've always engaged. <laughs> <laughs> I was <laughs> trying to pee for the drug testers, yeah. but I was so dehydrated. <laughs> uh, that would have taken a while. Yeah. Uh, I know Alana Pett got third, I think. In, in <laughs> it's like, oh, we know how the yep, Victorians went. Just uh, <laughs> yep. We know. But <laughs> yep, and Henderson got the win. Mm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So oh, she we, got yeah. her well, world under 20 qualifier. She's done a qualifier already. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so Sydney Nationals will serve as the Pick selection trial, yeah. I guess, for... Yeah. For her world juniors, but um, awesome job by Beck, really, because yeah. she has really focused on the triathlon. She's a super talented yeah. triathlete and kind of walks sometimes, but it yeah. seems as though the fitness from triathlon awesome. really carries, carries across for her. And um, she's a smart cookie as well. She yeah. just did incredibly in her VCE um, and is about Not to start. Not surprising, is it? We often see that that you know the the polymaths as we call them. So mm. what do you do? Uh, they're good at multiple events yeah. or multiple types of things that they put their mind to. It's a matter of what they concentrate on at the time. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. Did you ever? Um, I was thinking about that with Word on Twenties. It's in Kenya. It's at eighteen hundred meters in Nairobi. Have you ever yeah. had any walks races at altitude? Um, oh, Mexico last like year was at a little bit of yeah. not really. Oh. We go and train there, but yeah. um, oh, Mexico would have nah. to be, wouldn't it? Whereabouts in Mexico? Were you? It was called Lazaro Cardenas. Okay. It was over <laughs> on the west coast. Mystery. Okay. Oh, that would have been more sea level then. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, it yeah, wasn't yeah. that high. Because yeah, yeah. um, I know, yeah, just on the weekend they had some of those presentations about World Under 20s and they were saying, yeah, with the endurance events, they'll probably go to St. Moritz and that sort of thing to try and get yeah. the kids at least. Yeah, we were sussing out accommodation yeah. for them yeah. last year. So what's Nairobi? 1700? Uh, 1800, yeah. Yeah, it's high. Yeah. So it's like. I've raced in Nairobi. Oh, there you go. Same as St. Moritz, 1800. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it kind of like helps everyone up to about. Uh, 800 metres is probably the break point, yep. depending on where you sit on the Ralph de Bell effect. Yep. It didn't seem to slow him down. But, yeah, um, yeah 1,500 up for anything, that's that's a bit grim. Mm. <laughs> All right, let's call it quits there on Sunday's activity. Yep. So, um, unfortunately, as we said, we didn't have full results, but great wins, great auto qualifiers for Dane Birds. Definitely. And our very own Jemima Montag. All right, Jemima, time to get more nervous than you were on Sunday, I reckon, because <laughs> we're going to delve into the world and the life of Jemima Montag. How old, if you don't mind asking? I have a birthday on Saturday. Oh, you have? Oh, yes, that's yes. right. Yeah. You are turning... 22. 20, oh, so old. <laughs> turning, so, 21-year-old being named to the Olympics. That's not a bad thing. So, turning 22 at the end of this week. So mm-hmm. Very exciting. Yeah, premature happy birthday to you. Thank you. Uh, so, product of the... Well, you started Caulfield Littles, as you said. Yep. Yeah, and at the age of seven. Beautiful. And what 
or you would have been doing anything that was thrown at you. Yeah, you know, we just had five or six events to try yeah. every Saturday. Um, and it was just such a lovely introduction to sport in general, um, having that community feel, making friends, yeah. grabbing a Zuba duper at the end, um, and nothing really mattered. Um, I learned pretty quickly, though, that I could not get over a high jump bar to save myself. <laughs> I actually never tried going backwards. I would do the Superman yeah. dive. Um, yeah, it was just sh- shocking at anything that required speed or power. But the endurance, running and walking yeah. seemed to click. So when did um, you first walk? At what age did you jump in a walk? Uh, yeah, seven, seven. Seven, yeah, yeah wow. Yeah, it's been a long time. And did you enjoy it or was it just something you had to do? Yeah, well, interestingly, the walk in Little Aths, no one really took it seriously or, mm. or there wasn't that specialist coaching necessarily to teach people the correct technique. So it was almost just a bit of a joke. Like people would take all their other events seriously and then if you had a walk at the beginning, you know, people would stroll around with their friends and chat. And I certainly did that as well um, at the beginning. And then there was one particular day I was walking around with my friend Ella just strolling, not even doing the technique properly. And her dad yelled out from the sidelines, hey guys, you know, this is actually a race. Um, (laughs) Like why don't you put some effort in? Get moving. And I'm not sure something went off in my brain I thought okay maybe listen to Jono and um, gave it a little go and I seemed to have a natural ability for it um, the flow yeah. yeah the hip movement and just the coordination yeah. for it yeah. yeah yeah good and you then went from Littles at Caulfield to joining the Maccabi Club um, yeah not a bad mob are they the Maccabi group yeah, yeah. Um, my parents actually met um, Adam Maccabi Games on the aeroplane oh so really they, uh, mum was okay. there for four hurdles and yeah. dad was a cricketer. Um, so they actually call my sisters and I Macca babies, yeah. <laughs> which is a bit cheesy, but, you know. So, yeah, Maccabi's been a really special community for me to be a part of. Um, they've given me some great leadership opportunities, yeah. such as being the flag bearer at the 2017 Games. And, yeah, it's just Do it's wanna, nice. let, Let's talk a little bit about Maccabi Games too. So it's in Tel Aviv. Yep. Generally, yeah, and it is just the worldwide Jewish community coming together yeah, for basically. athletic events, and mul- it seems for Olympics, it's it's a lot of different events on, mm. isn't it? So, and the standard actually can be pretty damn high. Yeah, for There's sure. Some very good Jewish athletes out there, and um, particularly we look at the the distance now. We've got Saltpeter, the Kenyan. Yeah, Lorna Saltpeter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's, she's really represents flying. Israel. Yeah, but mm. but we've had some great history like Zach Ashkenazi. You know yep. Zach quite yep. well, and he's been he was cross uh, yeah cross country. But he was a silver medalist at the Australian. S- um, Steve Solomon been before. Steve Solomon. Yeah, yeah. Steve Solomon. Yeah. Yeah, so he ran in 2013 at the games. Yeah. 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 So yeah, we've got a great history at Maccabi Games, and it is I think for the Jewish community quite a um, well. It's it's that sort of. You know, melting pot of getting everyone together mm. um, and going to Israel. Have you been to Israel many times? So just twice for twice? the two games. Yeah, yeah. okay. Have you travelled um, much in Israel? Not too much. You should no, get out there. It's actually one of the, probably yeah. one of my favourite spots. We went and stayed in Tel Aviv in a town called Nevet Sedek, yep. which was beautiful before the 2017 game started, my family and I. But um, I do have some relatives over there, so it'd mm. be fun go back. get over there at some stage. You've been to Jerusalem? That's where they live, yeah, right. so just briefly. <laughs> yeah, it's... I'm not sure if I've said it before on the podcast, 
Jerusalem and Tel Aviv are about 70 kilometres apart. Yeah. But they're about 2,000 years apart. <laughs> yeah. No, it's a totally, totally yeah. different. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, it is totally different. Tel Aviv had yeah. a very young oh, person's vibe. There was a Mediterranean arts everywhere, city. Yeah. cool markets. Um, and then, yeah, you feel like you've gone back yeah. 100 years. Yeah, you do. Now, with uh, the Maccabi uh, Club, you know, Lenny Bigart and people like that, they're just rock solid, aren't they? So, Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Lenny um, has been so supportive of me over all of the years. Um, he's always on the sidelines. He was there at Com Games. Um, he's going to be there in Sapporo. And, yeah, I feel a lot of gratitude for Lenny and um, all he's done for me. So environmentally, that's given you just that nice little platform. You're now at the Melbourne University Club, though, which you yes. know, because you're studying there. Yeah. yeah. What are you doing? So I'm in my final year of an undergrad of science um, at Uni Melbourne. Final year. Oh. Yeah. Pressure's on. So Olympic year and final year, or have you had to sort of move the subjects around or mm. do you'd have to, wouldn't you, yeah, to, in yeah. order to do what you do? I had a shot at doing full-time uni yeah. with full-time training and yeah. it was no. awful. So, <laughs> yeah, pulled it back to, to part-time. But luckily the Elite Athlete Program at Melbourne Uni is really great um, and working in with Melbourne Uni Athletics as well means that um, I can timetable my, my lectures nicely around training um, and it's been really doable. Yeah, yeah. no, it is great. Uh, you know, I, I think, you know, hats off to Melbourne Uni and the sports program they have. I've got an athlete exactly in it as well and mm. just the scope and the latitude uh, that you get as an yeah. elite athlete there is, is fantastic yeah. and uh, you know when you look at it the amount of money that they plow into our sport yeah. uh, wouldn't be matched I think Sydney Uni, uni are very similar mm, very uh, supportive. yeah so very supportive groups and we I think in a country like Australia where we have so little um, sort of means of funding these universities are playing a huge yeah. role now and the facilities too yeah. you know being able to go from a lecture onto the track into the gym into yeah. the pool yeah no, yeah it's pretty Great. awesome so moving forward this year we have got olympics coming up what's going to be sort of the next feature event for you you've got minsk yeah so the world race walking teams challenge is in minsk belarus um that'll be on the 2nd of may um so that'll be our next Big international major. Yeah, and it's not that far away too when you think about yeah, it. Yeah, May's going to come And distance out. 20? 20, yeah. Yeah, yep, good. So, so, yeah, we'll be Melbourne-based until then. We'll go up to Cairns around Easter time for a heat camp. Yeah. Um, World Race Walking Team Challenge. Um, and then, yeah, our traditional St. Moritz block around June for, for altitude. Feel like a bit of a local in St. Moritz, do you? <laughs> <laughs> it's a beautiful place. Yeah, you know so all the right like coffee shops? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Excellent. So that becomes an important part. So... Typical of a Brent Balance um, athlete, everything is mapped out and everything is in blocks mm. and it all is relevant to what you're going to be doing, isn't it? Do you want to yeah. explain that relationship a little bit about you know, how Brent coaches mm -hmm. and you know, the relationship you have with him? Yeah. So I transitioned across to Brent um, after I finished school, so at the start of 20. 17. Um, I'd been coached by Simon Baker all of my junior years from the about the age of 10 and he gave me a really great introduction yeah, the to the was sport. Perfect, wasn't yeah, it? Simon yeah. was fantastic. Um, I realize now with hindsight that um, he did a lot of services in terms of making a really f a fun training environment. Um, we didn't overdo it, you know, we'd only really meet twice a week yeah. Um, and yeah, it was just a beautiful environment. So Lots of thanks goes to Simon Baker. Um, but yeah, transitioned across to Brent um, at the age of 18 when I was ready to tackle the senior ranks. Um, and the senior distances. And the senior distances, yeah. And it was immediately um, an inspiring environment, I guess, because Brent has so many years of expertise um, with fantastic athletes like Regan Lamble, Jared Talent, Nathan Deeks, um, 
Jess Rothwell as well back in her day. And it just felt exciting to be amongst that crowd of race walkers that I'd always looked up to growing up. Um, and yeah, from, from the moment we started, um, Brent was pulling out his Excel spreadsheets and, and PowerPoints and everything that's on that special hard drive of his. And yeah, it's just so interesting, especially as someone sci- studying science um, who's quite interested in physiology, but also the way that he does the environmental periodization. Um, it's really cool to have that extra insight on board. Um, Where in science are you going, by the way? Well, just going off on a tangent. What's your sort of expertise in science or interest? Uh, I've got a physiology major yep. um, and looking towards functional medicine um, to do a medical pro- postgrad uh-huh. um, next year or the year after. Excellent. Yep. So that will be a, a bit more workload as well. As yeah, you go there. yeah. Brent's really supportive, yeah. um, and I guess from working at Maribyrnong um, at a school, he has a lot of respect for you know the importance of academics as well. Mm. So. Yeah, ho- hopefully that's going to be um, a, a nice balance, the medicine with training. So how many contact sessions a week with Brent generally? When he's around, he's ditched you for 10 days at the moment. <laughs> he's but, up to uh, the US. Yeah. Um, definitely both weekend days. Yeah. And then he does try and come out for our second long walk midweek when he can. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, he'd love to be out every single day with us. But yeah, does have a full-time job as so well. So track sessions, you're mainly doing those at Melbourne Uni on the track? Uh, yeah, a bit of Melbourne Uni. We use Lakeside um, or even just the Middle Park um, on the road because yep. a lot of our races are on the road. So True. Yep. Um, we can kind of go anywhere for training. Mm. Um, and I guess the week looks very similar to what a half marathon or 5K, 10K runner would be doing. So there's the two long walks, Sunday, Wednesday. We'll do some longer reps like an 8 by one k session on a Saturday, some shorter reps midweek. Um, and then there's all those little plug the gaps, 8, 10, 12, 15, um, along the beach path. I'm really fortunate to live um, just off that Elwood Beach path mm-hmm. um, where I bribe my... Oh, I don't even have to bribe her, really. My mum is amazing and comes along on the bike, on the bike for yeah. um, chat, yep. water. But it'd be good, um, just nice time, wouldn't it, to you know, just spend together? Yeah, it's, yep. it's really um, yeah. amazing to have that hour sometimes in the morning where we yeah. can just chat things through and... Um, yeah, she's been a huge support. Now, we see Ridian steps across into XCR running and road and, you know, you can run for Victoria in the half marathon and all those sort of things. Do you do much running or do you race run ever? I don't know if I've uh, ever seen you. I've dabbled in a little yeah. bit. I do love jogging slowly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel like one day maybe post-walking career I'd love to go into trail running, mountain running, yep. ultras, things like that. Um, so I do love to jog that second session of the day in the afternoon yep. sometimes, just from an injury prevention point of view. How many k's would um, you normally be ticking up? You know, in a week? Runs, yeah, with your runs when you're going for a run. How far is a run for you? Oh, those Arvo sessions are kind of 6, 8, 10, yep. 12 okay. in that zone. Yep. Um, and then, so then that leads to your weekly mileage in total with yeah, runs and yeah. walks. What are you normally getting up to? Yeah. Um, so a big week would be 130 yep. and then it can be down to 80-ish on yep. an easy week, but an average of 100, yep. yeah. So that, that's similar to what a lot of athletes, you yeah. know, the marathon runner's obviously going to go further, further than, than that, yeah. but um, that's a, you know, considering you are walking for a fair chunk of it. Yeah, so it takes long. It's probably more hours. On correct. Yeah. Uh, it's a fair bit of time on foot. Uh, additional sessions you'd be doing all your strength and things yeah. like that at Melbourne Uni are very good at that. They've got their own conditioning coaches yeah, there. Yeah, but so VIS as well, ah, so VIS. on scholarship down yeah. at the VIS, so... Yep. I do my two strength sessions a week in the season with um, my SNC coach Corey, yep. um, and use a lot of the VIS facilities as well with recovery. Um, my relationship with my sports dietitian Jess Rothwell is absolutely <laughs> pivotal, 
and good um, person to have in your corner, isn't she? Yeah, yeah. 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 And, and that's another question to ask too. Yeah, you look at any Olympic athlete, which you now are. The support network is quite vast, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, that's oh. absolutely everything. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I think as a young kid, um, I thought that you had to kind of achieve everything on your own for them to be for it to be rewarding, and mm. you couldn't necessarily lean on people. But what I'm learning um, <laughs> over the years is that everyone's got their expertise in different areas and you can be, you know, the best version of yourself if you've got um, that insight to just yeah. lean on people and, and yeah, bring and as rely many on people them. into And that also circle. I think one of the key things too, Jemima, is then trusting them as Absolutely, well. Absolutely, yeah. You know, you can't, you've got to realise you can't do it all And yourself. it makes it less overwhelming. It does. Um, do you ever feel a bit nervy though that you've got all these team... So when you're you know, on the start line on Sunday morning, you mm. know that there's... 20 people behind you as well. Yeah. Um, does that make you a bit nervous that you are yeah. representing them or it's sort of an honour for you to say like, hey, this is us, this is our yeah, team are sure. doing this. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's a good feeling, isn't it? Just yeah, off. it's kind of a, a nervous excited. Like yeah. you're excited to see what the outcome's going to be but of course you don't know how it's going to go down. So um, yeah, I'd like to think that um, everyone on my team is is proud of me already and, and that they'd support regardless of the outcome. But yeah, it is extra nice to, to have a happy outcome like Sunday and to see how, how happy that, that makes everyone, everyone else. And everyone feeds off that. Does, you, know, you just sense that right across the board. I'm going to throw a number at you and see what your response is. 127.44. Australian record. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think? Savile? Jane? Yes, Jane. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yes, Jane Savile. Yeah. I think so. Yeah, 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 yeah. Jane Savile. Your ninth all time. Yep. That was, I had this little post-it note going. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, well, while Tim's doing that, I'm just yeah, going to educate myself on race walking yeah. and have a raid. Yeah. Yeah, so what are your thoughts? Because I, I know Brent's thoughts. He's told me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I probably won't tell you. What are your thoughts? 127.44. Current PB is? Um, 130. 130. 50 yeah. or something. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'd love to, to have a tackle um, of that Australian record one day. Um, yeah, we'll just have to see how the next five months progress yeah. um, and how the conditions are in Sapporo to see if it is a, a fast race opportunity. We, um, yeah. yeah, I was going to say, I guess with race walking a lot of the time, you guys do have some of the Grand Prix mates and, and some of the Japanese mates as well. But it's yeah. like, uh, I guess some of your biggest performances in terms of would we, would we be right in saying like your performance peaks are very often for championship events. Yeah, yeah. And, and whilst I guess maybe that's a byproduct, like, you know, you do have to often walk very fast to do as well as you can at a mm. championship, the, you know, the environmental stuff comes in that we've been yeah. talking about so is there a bit of a mix in terms of you know you, you're obviously prioritizing one thing over another maybe at yeah a well sometimes um it's all about the tactics and the competing and time really goes out the window and you're mm. just more i want to stay in the pack um you've got the judges and the technical side to think about um the environmental mm. conditions 100 percent. so sometimes um if you know the major championship won't be an opportunity for a pb you'll actually fly over to somewhere like japan um earlier in the year where there's cooler conditions and a fast course yeah. and not really worry about competing or what you come you'll just smash it out of the park and, and sure. aim for a fast time so yeah. 21 going on 22 first olympics in 2020 we would have to be looking at least, you know, you would be dreaming of the second or potentially the third. <laughs> so we've got, we have got time on our hands, haven't we, Jemima? Unless, you know, you're a smart girl and you've got a career to focus on at some stage too. What are your, you know, looking, you know, I don't want to preempt too much. 
uh, beyond 2020, but you would have to be in the back of your mind thinking 2024. Oh, 100%. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, good. Yeah. I'm glad it's you answered that. Well, I think. And it's in Paris, plug. the city of love. It's an easy one. You know. um, Paris and LA. But that's also going to be worse locations. Yeah. Yeah, those intervening years where you haven't got. Um, and Com Games next one, Birmingham actually could be quite conducive conditions too. So you mm. are going to get your shots yeah. in non hot weather conditions. Mm. So that's when it's going to be on, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And but and also the dynamic we've got is not just you; it's also Katie. Yeah. And don't forget Becky Smith. Too. You know, Becky, I think surprised me a little bit on Sunday mm. because you know looking through her twenty nineteen wasn't a good year at all, and she's come out and she's really nailed that one. So yep. she's put her itself in in the running mm. or the walking yeah. for for support for that as third well. Spot, 100%. So so you know that's the other thing, and we're seeing that within some event groups in Australia that because we're getting good numbers coming through and you look down at some of those juniors coming through like mm. Rebecca Henderson yeah. and Beat Girls you've got talent coming through that's going to be you know you're not going to be always just necessarily just sitting on top of the pack by default you've got to work for it yep and that means those times should come down yeah it's awesome to have Katie um I think we're really good for each other and the great thing is there's always more than one spot on a senior team exactly. so we can yeah. um you know encourage each other to be better and know that that only pushes us do you communicate outside of walking as well, with Katie? Is oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So there um, is a, a, a bond and a relationship. Definitely a friendship yeah. as well. And yeah. we'll, um, our coaches get along really well. Yeah. Um, they're communicating all the time. Great. We meet up for other little camps here and there. Um, so lucky to have such a lovely person um, to spend all this time with. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Doesn't always happen that way. So no, this yeah. is nice to yeah. hear. <laughs> Let's take you back to Gold Coast 2018. Mm. Must have been pretty nice to get a gold medal around home your turf. yeah home turf yeah. and home crowd. Not not easy conditions as we know. Yeah. Uh, how did you approach that race, and what were the expectations going in? Given that look, Commonwealth wise, you know, you're taking a lot of the major walks nations well, yeah, out. We know thing. that, yeah, but yeah. a gold like, medal is a gold medal. Mm, yeah. I guess the the dominant forces in race walking have always come from. Um, well, Russia, yeah, well, um, <laughs> where? Oops. Mexico, South America, China, Japan. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I guess it was an advantage just having the Commonwealth countries. Um, but nonetheless, I knew it was almost going to be a national championship because mm. Becky, Claire and I, um, as well as Alana from New Zealand, yep. um, were really looking like we'd be amongst the strongest. Yep. Um, so going into it, I guess that made it less overwhelming because you were almost aware of who was going to be in the in that front pack and you've chasing. walked against them so many times yeah, as yeah. well you've with claire though and her you know her propensity was more to the 50 and i know she's one who's really upset mm. about the potential changes but um do you see claire having another olympics or two in her or you think you know really we're looking now to the next brigade coming through with with yeah. becky perhaps being the senior citizen mm. um I mean, I'd, I'd love to see Claire keep going for as long as she can or as long as she loves it. Um, I think there's been a, a few injury challenges of yeah. late, just that's why she couldn't come to Doha. Um, but yeah, she's both Claire and Becky are mums now um, coming back after childbirth. And I think to see that women are capable of juggling the two is, is really inspiring. And but they're both competent yeah. women in so many ways too. Absolutely. So that's yeah. why it works. Yeah. All right, so Com Games, gold medal. Raises your profile, doesn't it? To win a Commonwealth Games, it means that in Australia you're you're something big. Did mm. your life change because of that? Or was there sort of this sudden, okay, more media want me and yeah. you know, people know who I am, people are recognising me. Does yeah. that is that the change that sort of happens? And I think it was a very fortunate um, 
opportunity on that day to to be just um, 20 years old and and suddenly have um, this new platform um, to be able to go on to scholarship at the VIS um, and to become a NAS athlete um, through Athletics Australia really did give that boost early on um, and it's just meant that our training can be so much more consistent and, and good quality. That's right, because um, you're got you getting rid of a lot of uncertainties mm. you know, around timing, uh, expense, all those sort of things. Yeah, so sure. it, it really just it gave you that pathway, I think, towards 2020, didn't yep. it? Yep. For sure. Yeah. Let's move to 2019, though, with, uh, with Dubai. And we've talked about... Um, um, do you like Doha? Doha, Doha. Yeah. Dubai was where Jared was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, wasn't too far away. Tenth at that championship. That had to feel pretty good, too. Yeah, that was awesome. Um, Tenth in the World Championships is no mean feat. Yeah, it was such a weird race yeah. with, with <laughs> the oven-like conditions and the, and the midnight start time. But I think... Um, as a first-timer at a World Championships, um, you can put a bit of pressure on yourself, but still you're a little bit of an unknown factor. Um, so I just kind of threw myself in the pack and, and it was really just a matter of trying to stay as cold as possible mm. for as long as possible. But that's um, where your coach comes in pretty handy too. He's a pretty yeah. wise man on those issues. And technically as well, because yeah. I actually picked up two red cards Ooh. by about the seventh or eighth I think, kilometre. Yep. So I was really relying on him to be on the sidelines giving me technical advice yep. um, in terms of um, having a nice low stride and keeping my toes up. The two red cards, was that because you were maybe a bit freaking going into this one? That I think w- there were, were, you nerves on, were Were you on in control when you went into this or was it a bit overwhelming? Being first world champs and conditions being yeah. as they were and some level of expectation as well. Yeah. So, you know, did it sort of put you outside of your normal comfort zone? I was definitely having a good freak out beforehand. Um, but Brent pulled me aside at about 8.30pm on the night and it'd be such a long day just waiting and waiting yeah. for midnight. Um, and he just said, it's just like tying up your shoelaces and brushing your teeth and all the other things that you do every single day, twice a day. You're going out for a walk with other women in the world who happen to like walking. Mm. Um, you're going to be so fine. Um, you've prepared well. And you've just got to execute the plan. I think another contributing factor to the two reds was that we did a pretty aggressive pre-cool, which involved being in an ice bath, um, fully submerged. And I think my feet were still numb. (laughs) And I wasn't, I didn't (laughs) really feel feel, in control of my lower body. So I had a fall um, after just one kilometre because the pack and feet (laughs) everywhere and numb. And I think perhaps that also contributed to my inability to race walk normally. Um, so yeah, really relied on Brent so for the Brent's rest of the race. Brent's going to learn from that, isn't he, about the pre-cool, not overdoing the pre-cool. Oh remove <laughs> the feet from Maybe the, I should have yeah. removed my feet, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know um, yeah, Julian Spence was sort of saying that as well with the marathon. He yeah. said the best thing that happened was the walks going first. Because yeah. then, then yeah. I saw his, learnt a lot, his yeah. number of coffee shop sit-downs with Brent yes. went up to pretty much to, to, to yeah. daily meetings yeah. as to, you know, they learnt a lot from your races as to how yeah. many sort of guest percent would sort of come off pace and you know yeah. how to try and judge it a bit yeah well brent um, was able to look at both the women's marathon and the men's 50k had happened by the time yeah. i walked and he was doing all the stats in terms of 
how many minutes or what percentage off yeah. their personal best the leaders were at and then he would be able to guess what kind of time my yeah. leaders would Re- go out yeah, of. Realistic yeah, and that, and that was really yeah. interesting yeah. in the sense yeah. that it seemed like in you know some of the event communities, even depending on what nation you were from, people were 100% into pre-calling and then yeah. it was like a large portion of the women's marathon field just, just didn't do it. it Hardly was just like, anyone from my race. Yeah, it was just like, oh, no, we, we don't need that. You know, we'll, we'll be fine sort of thing. And people were even warming up. Like people yeah, were out yeah. on the course... Um, getting hot and sweaty yeah. before getting hot and sweaty. I just didn't yeah. make yeah. sense. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, I think it's one thing the Australians do well. Because I know mm. sort of hearing Brent explain it the first time around in Doha, he tried to use sort of previous races as an example where they trialled it and it was like, well, if you can get anywhere from 15 to 30 minutes where you effectively yeah. don't start to heat up just yet, you know, when everyone else gets an hour in, you kind of feel like you're only half an hour in in terms yeah. of how hot you are. So when when in the race did you actually feel like you're actually starting to get a bit, I guess, warm for, for Doha? Um, yeah, I think the pre-cooling gave me half an hour's grace in terms of feeling hot. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, it certainly went up from there. Um, once again, we had core temp readings and mm. things happening. So it's been really interesting to look back at those graphs and just see how it does gradually go up and, yeah. and hit a spike. Uh, and we'll be using all of these um, scientific measures this year as well. Cool. Yeah. I think I'm going to term you a big-time performer. Um, <laughs> just, just looking at the stats well, here. Yeah, look at it. You've ranked, um, well, not on 3PER, but like yeah. normal ranks, you're like 16th in the world on points to, mm. to say and then on three per you're 12th so even for doha you know you, you sort of outperformed i guess yeah i is, think i was cool. ranked even lower 19 mm. fish oh, yeah, you, going yeah, into the race on, on that day been, yeah so 10th in that one second so, in the universiad at um uh, in italy uh mm-hmm. interesting experience that one's a bit different isn't it staying on the cruise ship <laughs> and all that sort yeah of stuff. that was oh. cool yeah yeah that was one of the most oppressively hot places yeah. i think yeah and just humidity ever yeah. like the sun would come up at six o'clock in the morning yeah. and you'd be like great it's already 26 degrees and 70 percent humidity mm. but all these championships are inherently different aren't they so the common games to the world champs to the world unis they're all they feel different now mm. olympics coming up and that's going to be different yeah. again oh a whole so, new level yeah that's yep. the big circus this yep. is the the real big one one of the reasons i'm calling you a big time performer though because you've never won an open senior championship until sunday until sunday <laughs> <laughs> that I think that speaks a lot to me. Yeah. When it mm. really, really counts, you've actually mm. gone to the level that you needed. Even yes. though your time wasn't as quick as when you came second last year. Yeah. No, yeah, two won minutes the championship. Yeah, so. I was second um, the last two years. Yep. Um, but I guess the thing I knew in two years ago, it was going to be the top two named on the day for, for yep. um, Com Games. Mm, yep. um, and I was in a pack of three with Becky and Claire. So really, um, I had to push in the last section. It was quite close on that day. Um, to get that auto spot and and on Sunday I knew it was the winner and that's it. So <laughs> yeah, well, that's what exactly. had to happen. Had to go for the win. <laughs> so you, you you actually are executing what you need to do, which is a good skill set. And look, it must uh, you know we're not trying to pump your tyres up too much, but you, you should be going into Sapporo thinking, well, actually I am a player. I'm ten from the world champs, uh, rank sixteen. Yeah, I can go all right here. Yeah, I think it'll be a great. Um, Hopefully, low pressure environment as a as a first. Nothing run, to lose, is there? Jen? Yeah, there's yeah. nothing to lose it's for kind you of in Sapporo, apart from DQing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that'd be yeah. sad. When was the last time you got DQ'd? Have you been? Have you got much um, history? Yeah, or? in so 2018, just three or four weeks post Com Games, we went over to the yeah. Taisang for the World Teams Challenge. Um, and it was going so well. It was going to be a nice PB. As we were talking about, environmental conditions yep. weren't yeah, favourable on the Gold Coast, but this was perfect. perfect. It was cool and spitting. 
Um, and yeah, I just, I was this fearless yeah. young gun and I threw myself into the lead pack. And I think sometimes if it is your first time in front of international walking judges, they're a bit stricter and they were like, who is that little girl in the green and gold <laughs> not today. trying to walk with the yeah, top we're ones? We're going to put you back in your place here. And not saying yeah. I didn't deserve it. Like I, yeah. I was walking weirdly that day. <laughs> but um, yeah, that was strange because I... But I've heard that's a factor though, Jim, that often you... the it's judges a coming of need, age thing yeah, apparently. The, the judges need to know you and yeah, you need to know them yeah. basically and they've got to know your style. Well, after that I sat you. down with Brent and he said, we just need to put you in front of international judging panels more often and that's why we did try and go yep. across to Mexico, across to Japan a few places last year to just get those international judges used to my style yeah. um, ahead of world champs and, and Olympics. So yep. that's another reason why Brent um, knows what he's doing. Yeah. Yep. Sort of. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm just going to read something. It was on Instagram a couple of weeks ago. Okay. And it says, Dear 10-year-old Jem, and anyone else in brackets, those legs that you think are so much chubbier than everyone else's are going to take you to the world stage. They're going to be protective against in- injury and strong when you need to run for the bus. Don't spend another moment wishing they were different. Can't you see the focus in your eyes and the fire in your heart? And rare, no one else on that start line has it. Big things lie ahead for you. Strong mind, strong legs and all. What a beautiful post. So <laughs> there's a beautiful... Yeah, so if you don't follow Jemima on Insta, get onto us, Jemima Montag. Go back a few weeks and there's this lovely photo of Caulfield, a little athletics and... You're actually big in that photo too, as in tall, <laughs> tall. big. Um, I grew yeah. early, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, with the strong legs, the strong mm. heart, the strong mind. Yeah, you can see in that little expression, um, just I was so focused and... Um, was that a walks event or was it... Yeah, yeah. yeah. Was that was event. actually um, at a, like Waverley Little Athletics right. Open Day. Okay, yeah, um, or Waverley Uniform. And I'm standing year, yeah. next to my main rival of the time, yeah. Cindy Collins, and... Yeah, what wanted to beat her. <laughs> with that post, there's a lot of meaning in that post. There's a lot of feeling. Yeah. There's a lot of emotion. What led you to write that post? Was it directed at anyone in particular? Or was it oh, just no. something you felt the urge to put out there publicly? Yeah, um, body image is something that I've um, been thinking about a lot, especially over the last 12 months. Um, and I'm the first to admit that I've still got a long way to go in terms of being you know, okay with it and, and sorted. Um, but I guess I wanted to just put that out there so that um, young athletes coming up or even, you know, athletes of my era um, know that it's something that we can chat about and it's something that, every, you know, a lot of people would have on their minds. Um, I think for me, I know that in some ways my physiology is really suited to endurance events and that comes back through our VO2 max results and I've got a great lactate threshold, um, strong bones. Genetically, we've got a line of women with really strong bones. Um, but there's and also... And your sister was good in field events too. Yeah, my yeah. middle sister yeah. did HEP. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah. the youngest well. is a diver. Yeah. So yeah. lots of um, athletic genes in the family. Yeah. But there's obviously things um, that we all that we all have that I've always been insecure about. And yeah, the strong legs or the, the big legs um, have definitely been one of those insecurities um and I think it started off you know I did 12 years of classical ballet from the age of about two and a half and it may have started off you know in that ballet environment where we're being quite lean and the beautiful lines that your body can make and whatever is is talked about quite a lot um 
and coupled with my huge passion for food and cooking, um, mm. which started off, I was probably, it was 2013, I was in about year nine at school and started becoming really interested in food prep and um, making nice meals for my family. And that's kind of when Instagram was taking off. Um, and I think it did start really genuinely. I created this foodie page called Healthy Food is the Best. Uh, <laughs> really embarrassing now but whatever that's what it was and I thought it was cool and at the time I thought oh, I'm gonna share the food that I make and it'll be great and I'll be able to inspire other athletes to make nice things um and I think without knowing it the the foodie Instagram scene for me I can't speak on behalf of everyone but it did gradually become uh, a little obsessive um, and it was no longer really about that passion of oh hey I like cooking for my family yeah it um, it was almost a competition of which foodie bloggers yeah. lighting was nicer and yeah. who had carefully layered their smoothie jar with edible flowers on top <laughs> captured with a nice back background and um, <laughs> so you, lo- it you was lost getting the, a bit the, crazy the core focus there a little yeah. bit yeah um, and it's dangerous I think think that um you know there are so many people and instagram gives us this platform where without really any credentials as a you know without being a sports dietitian or even a registered nutritionist people can go on to these platforms and say to look like me or to perform like me you should do this this and this with your food and you know they'll put out a what i eat in a day video and and young girls especially i mean probably a lot of others are really um, you know, influenced in, on this platform. They are, and they're to me. And we have covered this on the podcast before, though. Is that the the more insidious side of it is some athletes who portray poor body weight, yeah, and then get lots of following or lots of likes yeah. and lots of okay. If I look like this, if that I lose validation. another, yeah, the validation mm. that my, my my figure. When I am weighing X, which is an unhealthy weight and an unhealthy lifestyle, is okay. And then what does irritate me is then the type of likes that they are getting coming from some of the junior athletes. And that is creating a norm. It's tricky. Speaking to um, other endurance females, um, but also just friends of mine, it's really hard to be at that intersection between female, elite athlete, endurance athlete, in this social media time because there are a few little misconceptions I think that are out there such as um, people drawing a direct line between um, how someone looks and what their performance is going to be. You know, there's so much dialogue about, uh, you know, so-and-so looks so fit or lean or ripped or whatever, therefore they're going to perform. I'm sure there's, you know, sometimes when someone's in that PB form, of course, Mm, they look incredible. But you you um, look at them six weeks before and it might not be the same case. Yeah, because they're fueling... Are they posting at that stage? Yeah, and that's another thing. I think we find that um, elite athletes are posting photos, um, you know, at their peak for the major championships or around that and then perhaps in the winter base time they're doing flashback friday and and (laughs) we don't really see an accurate representation of that periodization of body composition across a year and this is something i heard um trent stellingworth a physiologist over in canada speak about in terms of his wife and her running and they've collected a lot of physiological data through her pregnancy and back into distance running and out and he just explained that if you only uh, expect your body to be at its max in terms of performance and times you know two peaks in the year maybe or one then how can you expect your your body composition to be at that 
super lean level all year round. You yeah, just can't yeah. and it's not healthy. So I actually found myself pretty deep into that red S cycle, which is something that's being spoken about a nice amount now, um, which is relative energy deficiency in sport, if, if people aren't so aware. So when did you go through that or have you been through it several times and come out um, and then drifted back in? So or? for me, I think when I... As a, as a race walker, your distance is always increasing, which is different to other events. You know, hurdles get higher and whatever, but long jump's always long jump and the hundred's always the hundred. So we go from 2K to 3, 5, 10, 20. So the jump from 10 to 20 is huge. Yeah. Um, when I started with Brenton in the senior racing, um, and I, for some reason, even though the training doubled, more or less, my fueling probably decreased. Because yep. all of a sudden, especially after the Com game selection, I thought, oh my goodness, I'm, I'm a proper athlete now. I have to be absolutely strict and do everything I can. So it came from a genuine place. I thought I was doing the right thing and it's reinforced through social media that you know, you've got to be, you've got to look like an elite athlete if you are one. Um, and yeah, I found myself probably midway through 2018, um, definitely deep into that red S cycle, kind of unbeknownst to me because I wasn't aware of what it was. You kind of hear the word female athlete triad thrown around but um I wasn't quite onto it yet but looking back there were so many signs in terms of um obviously menstrual cycle goes away um mood you're just completely not in control of your mood um susceptibility to injury is way up your immunity um so is down in the end who spotted it Jim who who's knocked on the shoulder or oh, did you self-realize that no <laughs> good um I have just I'm indebted forever, I think, to Jess Rothwell, my sports dietitian, <laughs> and having her... What was the conversation? How did that go? Well, because she was a 20K walker, um, yeah. she's got that really clever insight um, into my event, of our event, and um, she was she came at it from such an understanding yeah. um, point so of empathy. view. So empathy. Absolutely, yeah. 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 She she'd just asked me to talk to so, so not saying, Jem, you're a fool, look what no, you're doing. No. You know, it was more that, okay, we have an issue. Yeah. This is the story. This and she also knows that I have an appreciation for um, taking on knowledge from that scientific point of view. So she would pull up these awesome graphs and charts and maps and things that she'd seen um, whilst studying about Red S or at different conferences that she goes to. And she said, you know, she'd show me it visually. Um, and we did DEXA scans and resting metabolic rate testing. And she'd explain what was actually going on on a cellular level. And that really got so me to Got the click. scientific side going. Yeah. yeah. I understand. Um, so having her explain it in that way, but also just be such a warm, um, non-judgmental person who would just ask, you know, tell me what your mental dialogue is and why you think you need to look or eat or whatever in a certain way. And then saying, yeah, I totally understand and that's, that's okay, but this is how we can work through it. And she really encouraged that shift from being so performance, sorry, not <laughs> being so focused on how your body looks um, to more how what it can do for you and how it performs um, and how healthy it is long term because she really has at the focus at the center of everything you know you are a human being and your health your your long term fertility your happiness bone health everything matters just as much as um, you know how you perform Th that's such a big message to get out there because your athletic career is 
over X period of time, mm. but your life is ongoing. Longer, yeah. yeah. And you've got to be thinking to the future. And it can be hard for a, a teenager. You know, yeah. They yeah. think that people in their 30s are just over the hill and gone. <laughs> but but you still, you know, people are, are leading very healthy, prosperous lives in the yeah. 60s. You know, my mum turned 99 the other day. So, you know, <laughs> people are going for a long time these days. Yeah. yeah. So, and yes. I guess, Jerome, is it tough as well when you know, you're having these conversations with, you know, people in your support team or, or you know, you're having changes in maybe, you know, your um, either aesthetics or, or your body and things like that. But mm. at the same time, there's maybe a strange sort of feedback loop with performance. You know, did you yeah. see any improvements that then made you think, oh, hang on, this is actually like this works sort of thing? Yeah. I think the thing with the red S is that short term, when you start perhaps restricting energy intake, um, you can have, because, you know, you're quite light and lean and it all just feels easy. You can have some really exciting results that unfortunately reinforce yeah. the fact like, oh, this is good. I should, yeah. I should even do more and more. And then it comes to the point, I think, where your metabolism adjusts to, to take into account the fact that you don't have much energy on board yeah. and you actually hit a bit of a plateau in terms okay. of um, performance and they don't just keep coming down and down <laughs> forever. But also um, the risk of injury goes up as well. Yeah. So that's the dark so then side coming across in. Yeah. the back end of 2018, it was kind of, you know, risk of injury creeps in. Um, why am I no longer on that awesome spiral of great performances? Okay, I need to address this. But it can be quite scary and I think it takes a bit of courage to listen to um, what people like Jess and parents and coaches and people around me are saying and just give it a go, um, even if it feels a little different. And sometimes you have um, to go backwards to go forwards. Absolutely. So I think 2019 was such a big learning year for me. Um, and definitely when I went back to altitude in St. Moritz pre-Doha, I knew that Altitude coupled with the heat training we were doing and the big kilometers that was going to really require proper fueling. And I just thought, I'm going to give this a go and, and fuel the way Jess is um, telling me to fuel. Mm. Um, and of course, um, I, I felt heavier and I was confused about body composition and whether I looked the part for a, for a world champs um, athlete. Because I guess in my head, if you go to a world champs or an Olympics, you're meant to be in the be shape ripped. of your life. Yep. but having that focus shift to performance and um, Jess kept reminding me to think about all the kilometers I was getting through and how good I was feeling and how my body was bouncing back after sessions. Um, and that cumulative load, I think, is really what gets you the top 10 at a World Champs. It's not necessarily lining up thinking, oh, wow, my six-pack looks great. Um, and, and maybe the six-pack will come, but it's it's far more exciting to have a body that's functioning well for me um, regardless of how it looks really. Um, so... Yeah, I think to give one little analogy, um, another big influence of mine just in terms of teammates um, who's also a sports dietitian is Lyndon Hall, the 1,500-metre rec Australian record holder. And we had a chat um, about this in the pre-camp in Varese. Um, I was talking to her about um, my lead-in and all the things I'd been working on in this body image red S space. And she gave me an analogy that I think is thrown around sometimes um, about red S being like an iPhone running out of energy. And you know how eventually it'll go into power save mode yeah. um, when it's running low. And when you're in power save mode, maybe you've got enough energy for one emergency phone call 
So that could represent like a key training session mm. or a one-off race. But then after that emergency phone call's been made, the phone dies and there's no energy for the fun apps and yep. all the other things you might want to use <laughs> on the phone. Like, And that represents, you know, being a bit social and, yeah. and studying and spending time with well, family having, and the having dog. Having balance in your life as well. Yeah, yeah. So on the flip side of that, if you've got a nicely charged body or phone, um, even with a portable charger, which might represent like, you know, a few muesli bars in the car or something in your um, bag for after training, then not only can you make the phone call or do the, do the key session, but you've also got energy on board to recover from the session and, and to live the rest of your life enjoyably. Um, so that was a really helpful um, learning from Lyndon. And I think I'm just so lucky to be able to learn from these athletes who are older and more experienced than me, but also people like Jess. Um, still learning. And, I've got and, a long way to go though. <laughs> and in that space, I know we've seen, um, I think very positively, more and more athletes um, and often female athletes being highlighted in, I guess, our, I don't know if industry is the right term, but like in our sport of athletics mm. that is often so body conscious. And, you know, I think the, I know one of the Japanese athletes here this week said she thought it was quite funny that, you know, all the athletes in her race were wearing a crop top and brace. And yeah. I said, oh, I come and she said, oh, we'll just, no one does that at all in Japan. Mm. Like it's just not a thing. But she said, oh, I saw it. And I thought, oh, I'm going to oh, well, do that now because <laughs> that, yeah, that was something she wanted to try. Yeah. But in that space, you know, I think, I know, I guess in Tim and my world of sort of distance running and stuff, you know, we've seen the likes of maybe a, um, like a Shelby Houlihan or an, or an Alan Perrier or a Shalane Flanagan have often been, or Molly, Molly Huddle have been quite big advocates for, you know, they do endurance events and mm. they're some of the best athletes in the world at their event. And I know Shalane Flanagan's got a cooking book and stuff as yeah. well. And are, are there people that exist in the sport, as you say, that have been positive role models for, for I guess, this sort of generational shift we're seeing in how we approach sport? Mm, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's so important to have um, people being outspoken about it and um, just making sure that in times like these where there are all those different pressures and different ideas floating around, um, yeah, that there are some strong voices advocating for um, performance and long-term health and, and seeing the, the person holistically as well. I think we should wrap that 10 minutes, last 10 minutes up into a little package and should be played to probably most 12, 13, 14-year-old <laughs> female athletes or even some of the male athletes too about yeah. the reality mm. of, you know, you've now come right through it and you've qualified for the Olympics um, it's a great story because you're a survivor of it. Mm. Not as if you were on the real edge. You know, you probably, I reckon you probably nipped it in the bud before it got too bad. I was pretty lucky to, yeah. yeah. Well, because you had a great support network. Yeah. Not all of our 12, 13, 14-year-olds have that. Yep. In fact, some are in environments which is promoting this, yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. We've got to nip that stuff in. The, well, we've got to get onto that. And mm. I think that discussion that you had and the way you just opened right up about it, this has to be getting out there to a lot more parents mm. coaches and the athletes too yep. or the people it's not just about athletics jemima montag that was brilliant thanks so much all good so we've got the avsl finals coming up sean you're excited about that even though frank's not participating well basically because you didn't participate for the whole season unless <laughs> I, I, I got out there in the i don't colours. think it's entirely on me but i'm sure lino wanted to tell me it's my fault yeah i think it's your fault so we do we've hit that you know the ladders are now this is still unofficial they're still waiting for final um results to be approved but we do know for sure the top three in premier division uh, playing off for the the title are essendon glen huntley and diamond valley 
little bit of a drop back then to Box Hill. South Bendigo did really well. Yeah. For a regional team, they came fifth in Premier. So that is good. Now, in the Premier, we've got Sandy and Keelor going to be dropping down. And replacing them next year in Premier Division will be Nunawadding and Doncaster. Oh, cool. So that'll be good. Oh, that's similar to when you've got the XCR ladders really starting to take shape. It mm. builds a... We're going to see a very strong comp up there in, in Premier, which is fantastic. Uh, Ballarat Harriers and Collingwood have taken or will be going up from three to two. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Ballerine and the Waverley Malvern Combine uh, ah. are going up from... Uh, where are they going? So they're going from four to three. Uh, well also, you've got... Uh, Ballarat YCW in there as well. I've forgotten that. Anyway, uh, Dandong, Springvale and Ivanhoe. Looks like they've got the nod from Division 5 up to Division 4. South Coast and Richmond will drop down. Uh, St Kevin's and Corio will drop out of 3 down to 4. And also Frankston are being relegated, Sean. <laughs> You're sad. From Division 2 down to <laughs> Division 3. We've got a strong winter program. We'll be fine. We'll strong rebuild. Winter. We have the parts. Yeah. All right. Now, one of the exciting parts about this is they're going to be the, the playoffs for promotion. So, Chilwell's going to go up against Mornington for the... Um, so, Chilwell were third bottom in Premier. They're mm. going to go up to th- uh, against the third place team in two. So, Chilwell v Mornington. The winner of that either remains in Premier or goes up the Premier in the case of mm. uh, Mornington if they do win it. Uh, Yarra Rangers are going to go up against uh, Casey Cadinia for a spot in two. And then you've got Ballerine versus Waverley Malvern for a spot in three. Uh, Vic Masters will go up against Williamstown for the spot in Division 4. So all exciting times, I think, because you know this is the beauty of these moving ladders is that um, there's, even when you hit the tail end of the season, it's not all over and done with. You might be battling against relegation or going into a playoff to stay in your division or a playoff to go up a division. So I think it's quite exciting, good structure. Uh, Melbourne Uni, your club, Jim, you know, Hamish had really high hopes that they'd move from <laughs> three to two and they're, <laughs> they're sitting down in seventh. They've only just oh. avoided the, the playoff. Did you get a tap on the shoulder or a call at all during the season from the big man saying, gee, we need you out there? <laughs> He was pretty quiet with me, actually. Oh, okay. He's he's learned the boundaries about bloody time, too. Uh, Because, you know, the uni, as we know with uni issue being not many juniors floating around in the university environment and um, probably at the the top end, too, the masters. I don't think they've got too many masters. They've got a few floating around, but not not the depth. I think it was also more in the the old scoring format as well. They used to dominate quite comfortably. Yeah. So now with this, like, whole club facet there, they're they're having to rejig their uh, recruiting strategies. (laughs) They are Certainly. And, and yet again, with AVSL, it is all, you know, excuse my term of phrase, but it is bums on seats as well. You've, you know, and you could have a really strong club like Melbourne University is, but most of you on the elite program aren't actually getting the AVSL because you've got all these other priorities. Mm. So, you know, occasionally you might get it. And certainly trying to qualify for finals can be very difficult. So, anyway, exciting times. And let's see how the, um, the playoffs go and those premiership battles go. So, that'll be, uh, we'll obviously report on that in the next podcast. Let's touch on a few of the things happening internationally, Sean. So we are talking to Jim before about throwing out that 127.44, which is the Australian record for the 20k walk. We've had an Australian record happen, though, in the last few weeks. Maragame, half marathon. Yeah, so Brett Robinson um, went over there with a couple of training mates and ran what is a typically um, super fast half marathon in, in Japan. Um, 
So Maragama is a funny one because it often falls well after the Hakone Ekiden and, and some of the major um, sort of road racing events the Japanese teams have. So a lot of them sort of target Maragama as this super fast uh, end of their road season-ish or transitioning to prep for Tokyo Marathon phase. And the results certainly indicated that. The depth is just as far as the Australian scene yeah, so is obscene. Y- you can sort of do things like finish 80th and, you know, be under 64 minutes and, yeah. and things like that. Yeah, whereas in, yeah, look, not putting Burnley down, but we had, what, 35 sub-70s at Burnley, which yeah, was a great result think, for us. Yeah, well, I think that's the thing. I think, you know, 70 minutes comparative would have you back in the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds yeah, at Maragama. Yeah. So it, it is a, it is a bit of a hot spot. Thousand. Yeah, it is a bit of a hot spot for half marathoning and it is a very flat, very fast sort of out and back course. Um but yeah, so Brett was in a, a group up the front with um, mostly probably Callum Hawkins was the, the biggest sort of pace pusher on her um, and some talented Kenyans who race over for Japanese corporate teams. Um, but Hawkins has run 60.01 and 60 flat and he's, he's been very close to breaking this sort of magical, magical 60 minute yeah. barrier for quite some time. So when the pace sort of started to, well, it didn't really lull. If anything, they were really, really even. And, and Brett um, does have a very good podcast he did from, I think, the Departure Lounge um, of Narendra Airport um, on Inside Running Podcast. And he talks about how, you know, they were extremely even. And he sort of ran 14.18 to 14.12 for pretty much every 5K segment. And he said, you know, it, it didn't feel like it was really, he didn't feel like he was really pushing until, you know, that last sort of 5K of the race, which which is, a, I guess, a perk of having such a massive group all trying to run this this pace. Um, so, yeah, around 59.57, um, even with a bit of a last minute, the, the motorbikes pull off about 200 metres from the finish and they go right and you're supposed to swing left and go straight. But because Brett had sort of made his move at 18K and, and had a bit of a gap on everyone else, he was just sort of following the motorbike, as yeah. you do. It does happen, yeah. And I've mo- seen that happen at major races before. Yeah, yeah. And as the motorbike went yeah. to go off, they tried to put this sort of bar down to yeah. say, oh, no, you know, everyone else goes straight. And Brett sort of had incredible lateral movement to sort of hop step back onto the course and right. fire along. So, you know, people were obviously surmising whether that cost him two or three or five yeah. seconds. And he yeah. joked that when it happened, he just thought, oh, God, I hope this doesn't cost me sub 60 because he yep. knew they were pretty close, close yeah, right and you sort of see when he gets back on the course he has a quick look at the watch and mm-hmm. tries to do some mental maths and herbs around so um joins um eight men that aren't from east africa that have ever broken 60 minutes so it's a, it's a very small club in terms of the members and i think as he said on other interviews that it had always been a big sort of i guess i guess as far as statistical goals or, or time-based goals went yeah that was a big dream for him because he knows it's a it's a huge group to join. Um, and a national record too is a national record. It's huge, yeah. Putting you in the pantheon of greats. You know, yeah. And you look at the Australian records and they are pretty good and the names yeah. on that list are Definitely. awesome. Yeah, so. and, I, and I know there'd often been some consternation around the national record and yeah. whether it was, you know, one at altitude or one on a yeah. straight course or an out and back. And, you know, it was good to have one national record that's now finally just straight yeah. down the line yeah. on a certified course and, yeah. and Brett's got that one. Great. Um, we had a few others over there as well. It was a you know, pretty good Australian contingent. Yeah, um, so I think Sinead Diver ran in the sort of 68-minute department again and um, Ali Pashley said the, the hot pace got her a bit at the start and she sort of had a crack at the pace to see where she was at and she ran about 70 minutes, so she wasn't stoked with her performance but said, you know, it was just a part of her sort of well, marathon build-up. London coming up. Yeah, um, so we had James Coleman, our, our very own office member, yep. now now off to go study on, on the Gold Coast or in Brisbane um, and he ran 63.55, I yep. think it was. So um, And Riley Cox. Yeah, Riley Cox was 63. 40 something yeah, I very think, close so. to the south Australian yeah it's about record. four seconds off the yeah. SA state record so, so obviously Maragama is a, a place to be so yeah yeah Ben Chamberlain was over there as yeah, well ben and, and up had and a, coming West a very hot crack through 10k yeah. with everyone else yeah, and um, yeah. so 
interesting event. Um, and congratulations, Brett Robinson, new Australian yeah, record holder. Huge run. Now, Milrose Games, do you want to just a little potted summary, Sean, without going Yeah, so, so the Milrose Games, um, whilst not being on the World Indoor Tour, um, are sort of considered, it's one of the sort of fastest or, or best attended um, US indoor mates. Um, and there were probably three really major performances that caught international news. Um, the top one probably being um, El Perrier, who is a sort of, she went to die half of the 5K, um, but, uh, you know, sort of came into the meet with personal bests of 4.02 for 1,500 and sort of 4.24 for the mile and, and had run 14.58 in sort of what was her first year as a 5,000-metre athlete um, and turned up in what was a you know, super-duper star-studded field of um, Constance Klosterhelfen, the German athlete, and Gemma Reiki, who broke the indoor 800-metre British record the other week with a 157, and um, Gabriella Debuse Stafford, who's a, a really talented Canadian athlete and ran 356 for 1,500 last year. Um, and I guess the interest hanging on this is also that the record that was sort of on the books was by uh, Mary Decker Slaney. Um, so it was the oldest women's indoor or outdoor um, track and field record. So it stood for 38 years um, and it was 420.5. So <laughs> Perrier kind of hit that out of the park and um, and ran, uh, where is it? And ran 416 uh, point. The 10th has evaded me currently. Um, yeah, 416.71 um, is the only mile now faster outdoors, which is Decker Slaney as well. Wow. Uh, but I think for Perrier, it was just such a massive shock because mm. she wasn't really touted going into the meet as someone that was going to towel up everyone else. So she, not only did she win the race, but... What was next? What was the next position or time? Um, so in second was um, Klosterhelfen, um, was 4.17.26. Okay, so it was a quality race. So yeah, so Reiki was 4.17 as well and Debut Stafford was 4.19. So they're all, all national so records. So resetting marks here for the mile, basically. Yeah, so 4.16.85 for, for Perrier. Um, and I think the... The, the big thing for someone like Reiki was that because she's so new to being in that sort of shape, you know, she said she actually rang her coach afterward and just said, oh, was that all right, sort of thing. And he was like, was that all right? You broke the bloody British record. And she was like, oh, I didn't even know. Because I guess for some countries, indoor racing yeah, is, exactly. is not as yeah. a common part of the season. Discussion I had last night with um, Gus McDonald and Len Johnson, mm. the pole vault world record is actually an indoor isn't it yeah so, they so tend, in that event they don't separate yeah so and I, I'd, I'd have to I'm, have I'm, a chat to Mark Stewart or someone to yeah. try and get a bit more history on it but it just oh, seems to be one boobka-centric bub- yeah it, like it just seems one that they don't debate as much it's yeah. just considered the world record yeah. like you don't really ever but hear anyone no climatic conditions yeah, you don't ever hear anyone in pole vault talk about oh it's the outdoor world record yeah, or the which indoor is world record 14 I think is it yeah so so 617 was cleared yeah, so 616 was the world record yeah. from Renaud Le Villeneuve who cleared that indoors. Yeah. Um, and Mondo Duplantis, who's 20 years old, fresh out of one year at Louisiana State University and competes for Sweden and has just won absolutely everything yeah. possible, cleared six metres outdoors at the European Championships as a 20-year-old. is just yeah, really one of the most phenomenal talents in the yeah. sport. Um, he had a go at 6.17 the other week at a World Indoor Tour meet um, and he just clipped it with his elbow um, and he almost teared up in the interview saying how stoked he was that he actually got to have a go at a world record. So, yeah, so he said it was something he thought about since he was three and that was like a quite nice story where he sort of thanked his parents and all that sort of thing. So, turns up the next week in Poland and um, cleared everything straight from the get-go and, you know, everyone else was out of the comp and he had it all won and he said, righto, 6.17, let's do this. Second attempt, cleared it rather comfortably um, and, yeah, 
Cabinet mold. Uh, <laughs> I guess the only maybe slightly disappointing thing was the last last year with the World Indoor Tour, a lot of the meets were streamed on YouTube by mm. World Athletics, which was quite cool because usually it's very hard to watch meets. Um, but yeah, this year we haven't had any. So Ooh. the only real footage of mm. Duplantis' jump are all sort of off people's you know, iPhones. Mobile yeah. phones and stuff. And yeah. some, some people, to be fair, have quite good angles of it. Yeah. But um, I think there's some Polish sort of national TV footage leaking out of it, which is good. Um, but yeah, huge sort of coming of age for that guy. Yeah. Already having obviously won the European Championship and getting second. So at what's champs. his best outdoors? I think he's cleared six oh five. And that, that's what I, I did here last night. The, the six fourteen by Bubka outdoors is actually an outlier. The, no one's within yeah of that at the yeah. moment. Yeah. yeah, I guess Bubka's thing was that it was often a bit of a game for him to nudge up the world yeah, record by, by one centimetre, centimetre, yeah. centimetre, centimetre. And rules were different then too, that you could touch the bar you, or hold the bar. You could, and they had, I think, the square. Different, yeah, the bar well. was shaped differently at the yeah. end. Um, yeah. So Rather Bubka was so the World Athletics president for a little while, and the rules, the rules did, also did, did come in when Why? he was there. So yeah. Pop got a little bit trickier, but <laughs> um, yeah, Duplantis. I guess the fun story around him is just asking him what on earth he does now because yeah. like, he didn't take an attempt at 618 or 619 he said he was a bit well, why would fried yeah. um, but it's only February yeah. and he said oh well this I guess awesome. I'll just have to keep going and obviously he wants to win an Olympics at 20 so he should uh, well you never know with that event uh, very tricky mm. do you want to just give us a little bit of a heads up on what's happening in Canada yeah so the, I guess there's a pretty concerning story coming out of Canada um, in the sense that um, Canada has what's considered a very tight-knit running community that centres around a, a small handful of universities. Um, they don't have the same system as somewhere like the NCAA in the US, so a lot of their top talent does move. Um, and they'd had a, a particular coach where sort of allegations had surfaced about um, sort of improper conduct with um, quite young female athletes historically. Um, and I think a lot of it had sort of popped up on message boards and things like that, and, and a lot of those website. Uh, domain owners were, were very careful on trying to moderate that and say, look, this isn't, you know, nothing's public. We, you, know, you can't be seen as slandering someone if it's rumour. And often in modern journalism as well, there's, there's this urge to be first with news as opposed to being accurate. Um, and one of the Canadian publications, I think it's the, the Daily Globe, um, have a phenomenal piece of what is like really pure sort of investigative journalism in the sense that they interviewed over 70 people, um, had first-hand sources, you know, had years and years worth of emails um, and basically the, the head coach um, Dave Scott Thomas was a guy at the University of Guelph um, had sort of turned it into this dynasty of Canadian running and Olympians and he was sort of known for having this sort of win at all costs um, mentality um, and he also started what was known as Speed River Track Club which was probably the most professional sort of Canadian outfit and had a number of years of funding um, from Athletics Canada um, and another a, a bunch of professional brands and you know, they, they were really sort of considered to be the epicenter um, of running in Canada. Um, and for what was sort of maybe six months or a year of rumour um, and nothing sort of happening, and this guy was an Olympic team coach, um, he then was put on, I think, paid leave for two weeks um, and then was fired um, from his job at the University of Guelph. Um, and that was it. And now this you know, phenomenal piece has come out from a former athlete of his that sort of details the just the levels of abuse that existed within the group. And um, yeah, it's just been a, I guess, a, a pretty terrifying reminder that, you know, coaches do exist in a, in a pretty high position of trust um, and that it, it can be very hard for people within some of those groups to, you know, be aware or try and catch sort of warning signs or, you know, when, when it's appropriate for people to speak up and, you know, basically that... You know, how, how people manage those situations. And, and from what we've talked about in the office too, it was a classic case of once someone came out, then 
someone else will come out. Yeah. And, and you know, you're sort of empowered then and someone else will then come out. Yeah. And, and, it, it, and it the is, proof the proof is just there, isn't it? The, yeah, and it, it the is interesting. The emails, it's all um, there. Yeah, it is interesting, I guess, hearing from the the Canadian, the really prominent Canadian athletes that have come out and said, look, you know, people knew about this for ages. And the Federation knew about it too, apparently. Uh, yeah, and that's, well, that's well, a really hard point in the sense that the Federation have put out a statement saying, you know, they, they hadn't heard prior to a certain date and then you've got groups from within that university that said, you know, and sort of have these emails where they said they've contacted the Federation prior. So I think that's they've got an independent commission running at the moment and are looking to make pretty dramatic structural changes yeah. to how coaching and athlete welfare and all that sort of stuff is run in Canada. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was pretty wild, but it was interesting to just see it as, you know, the, the people that had come out and spoken about it said that Mary Kane, you know, speaking about what had happened with her in her yeah, group might have been had, a had been a catalyst. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. yeah, I think hopefully that provides a safer space in Canada for the sport. And Well, and throw that out to the Australians too. If, if there's something going on in this sport that you're being online bullied or something like that or there's stuff going on with coaching... <laughs> In the end, yeah, and, and I think yeah, there are places you can go. Your state associations have um, member protection information offices, offices. Yeah, and there are places you don't have to hold this in. You can put it out there, whether it's a sustainable or justifiable case doesn't matter. But if you need someone to talk to, yeah, and I think I think it is important for members to know that yeah, you know, Athletics Victoria does have the, the confidential capacity to, yeah. to deal with those sorts of things and and just trying to make people feel like the sport is a safe place yep. and that that's what we you want. know people shouldn't have to put up with. Stuff like that. So, yeah, pretty crazy story to come out of Canada. Um, All right, let's finally touch on... Everyone else <laughs> has done it to death. The World <laughs> Athletics <laughs> Shoes <laughs> ruling. So, just quickly, Sean, just an update. Uh, so, your shoes can't be any larger than 40 mil. Yeah. Um, which stack so, the current Nikes are in. Uh, yeah, apart from Nick, good. the newer version was going to be out, but they haven't uh, they rejigged it or something? No, well, conjecture around that, but Nike is suggesting that it was always 36 mil. Um I'd say the only debate going along that line is that apparently it's measured off a European size 42 shoe. Right. Um, so, you know, if you've got bigger feet, it could do be you higher. have high stack height, yeah. blah, 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 yeah. blah, blah. Um, I don't know. My only... Everyone wants to have a hot take on it. I don't really think there's a hot take. I just think it puts Nike in the absolute box seat yep. marketing-wise because at the end of the day, no matter how this ruling goes, how great is it for Nike? So, say your alpha fly shoe gets banned... Cool. You start marketing it to people that aren't going to run elite races and you say, yeah, shoes so good they got banned. Yeah, People buy them 500 bucks. Laughing. Nike win. Yeah. Uh, I've so heard though that a few of the brands are now rushing through prototypes to get them in production. Yeah, you've got to have them on the market. To, to be fair, minutes. probably the biggest change yeah. in that rule was yeah. that prototypes are now not well, won't be allowed after April 30. So there's a there's a big rush for a lot of companies to get shoes that were in production for Tokyo out before April 30. Jim, I'll throw to you. Um, with the walkers, what shoes are you guys usually in? What are you wearing? Do these, the, the new Nikes, are anyone wearing those or are they just no. they're too on the edge for a walker? They're too squishy, wouldn't they? Yeah, I guess um, <laughs> one of the key rules about walking is the contact staying yeah. on the ground aspect. Um, so, yeah, people just tend to wear... Um, Traditional um, racing flats. Uh, yeah, a mixture of yeah. racing What do you flats. wear? What do you, you know, um, give you, are you sponsored? We'll give a little plug to Brooks. Brooks, <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. Good on your Brooks. Yeah, I like to race in their Asterias, do all my training in their Do they support you? Yeah. Great. Um, okay. Yeah, they're, they're awesome. That's nice to hear. Good. All right, mm. so a little plug for Brooks there. But, um, yeah, I guess the wash-up of this is probably more interesting on the track because very often we see track spikes are prototyped a long way out. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we saw in Doha this year a sort of select group of Nike athletes had some very swish-looking spikes early on um, and other athletes didn't. So, I guess 
it's kind of weird because that rule's actually always existed with world athletics that did, there was supposed they, to be a level of yeah, universal didn't they availability. Sort of drop it for a little while and then bring it back in. Or well, was it always not really. There? They just had sort of a prototype loophole in right. the old rule, and it was, okay. I guess the the biggest question is going to come around: how is it enforced? Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is the biggest. Well, are you going to be chopping shoes apart at the end of a race to see how many well, carbon fiber plates are in there? Hmm. Yeah. Well, it's the only well. way you can do it because yeah. carbon fiber is radiolucent. So, yeah. like in bike racing, yeah. when they're looking for a motor yeah. or something in the bike, they just roll it in front of this X-ray thing. And they go, "Yeah, right." Yeah. There you go. Yeah, out you go. Measure yeah. sock height as well in cycling. Yeah, strange sport. Um, sock height. Yeah, genuinely. Yeah, they get a little measuring thing out at the start line. Yeah. They they kind of socks that are too high. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Fun stuff. Also, like yeah, it's like if you go to a major marathon, you have to put your singlet on the table flat. Yes. Um, and you get it measured with those little boxes for sponsorship and stuff. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Like I think it was interesting that. A decision was finally made on what to do, but I think the horse had bolted a bit already yeah. with all yeah. brands there's having one. There's been some criticism that's been pretty soft. I th- think this is just the new normal. Yeah. As much as people may or may not like it, my moral standpoint, which I know plenty of people disagree with, you know, okay. oh, you can you can have advanced. We can have stand, but you can't have too much. Yeah. I think the fact is that this is a the biggest advance, the b- biggest jump we've seen in. In technology, this isn't you know. Well, the results this is, are this showing. Isn't, that, this isn't barefoot know? to a pair of Dunlop volleys. No, no, no. This is an absolute, yeah, phenomenal shift to the point where you know obviously yeah. the, they've miscalculated the men's and women's marathon qualifying numbers because yeah. the time's so fast. You got five hundred people at US trials for the yeah. marathon, so all I, things like Boston now have to reassess their qualifiers. Yeah, and, and I think that really hard thing that we love doing, and I know there has been carbon fiber plated technology in shoes since as early as 2003 with Paul Tegat and Harley Gabriel and that sort of thing, is that it, we do lose a bit from the sport of historical comparison. Yeah. So we love on the track being able to say, oh, look, so-and-so ran yeah. or jumped this and that's Imagine similar to this. Imagine if Clark was in. Imagine if Steve Montegetti robbed a Casella. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think the really hard thing for me, and I know a lot of people will say, oh, it's just technology moving forward, is that from, a again, a bit of a scientific standpoint, is that the University of Colorado have done a lot of work on these shoes and they said that the concerning thing for them across a number of brands that have these shoes now is that they don't see, I think this statement to be fair is attached purely to the Nike shoes because they actually haven't got access to a lot of the other shoes to test them. And I, but I think the case will be similar is that when you combine the, the plated element and the foam that's used, that's quite lightweight, the, the PBAX foam, who to be fair, it's a proprietary brand. You can you could go and get your own version made. Um, is that there, there haven't been any non-responders and then it's a range. Right. So that's a really important thing for people that are trying to wrap their head around the argument is that it's nobody doesn't respond. So it's, you know, I guess as well from a science standpoint in medicine and that sort of thing. It would be phenomenal if you had a clinical trial of a new drug or, or, or a new food or a supplement or something mm. and you had zero non-responders. Mm. That's almost unheard of. Yep. So, Whereas this stuff, yeah, yeah. it works. Um, and the debate now is that, you know, you have the same athlete with the same training, the same everything, same training group line up in the same pair of shoes, whether prototype or not, um, and you actually don't know whether one person simply responds to the effects of the shoe better than the other person. So I think that for every brand, it becomes a bit of a tricky technical spot. Um, I guess humorously at the time that all this was going on, Ronix Caprudo broke the 10K road. World Not wearing them. Yeah. In a pair of yep. they're literally store-bought Adidas shoes, which yep. have no plate in them. But An yeah, I guess this is where the sport's headed and this yep. is our new normal. So cool. All right, I see we weren't going to talk a lot about it, so let's call it quits right there. So yep. they've made a decision. Some people are happy, some people aren't. Yep. Lucky are, that's okay. <laughs> yeah, I think all brands will be very happy with their then you range to work on. So the track classics this week moved to Canberra. Good fields. Sean, you're a bit excited about the steeple. So we've got guys like Buckingham coming out to play. Um, 
Who else? Matty Clark? Yeah, Matt Clark, Max Stevens. Yeah. Um, so the usual players, um, a couple of internationals, a couple of Japanese. Yeah, so Yasunari Kusu is coming yeah. over, who is a pretty handy 1500. And He's around sort of... Yeah, so I think Kusu is probably the, the more interesting one at the moment just because he hasn't run a lot of them. So he ran a really fast 2K steeple in Japan last year um, and then ran like 8.55 and then 8.36. So he's had that sort of traditional big jump down in time. All right, let's throw in Geordie Williams. Yeah, and Geordie obviously has been doing some alternate events and doing some yep. 800s. Um, yep. So he's obviously getting a bit of speed in. Yep. So um, for Geordie, this will be, you would think, the big tester... Am I at Olympic level for this? And it's something I maybe oh, start. I think it's a little bit early to go yeah. Olympic level or not. Because the thing with him but is. He's he got to beat these guys. Did, uh, yeah. Not even really. Like, he didn't run Oceania's. So, where points are concerned, he's going to have to try and sort of do really well at nationals and, and find some other races yeah. in Europe. And but I think he'll be thinking of the time as well. Yeah. Um, you know, sort of competing at the level he has over the last five or six years. What, what's your tip for that race? Um. It's really hard because, you know, Max Stevens wouldn't mind me saying, you know, he didn't run particularly well in the 5K. He didn't. Ben Buckingham ran well, but as he said, he didn't sort of hit it out of the park or anything. Um, Matt Clark's had good 1500s, but didn't have a great 5K. Can I put it out there? Give us a name. Um, I, reckon, I reckon Ben is probably the favourite going in, just based on his ability in, in previous races. But I think the smoky is probably James Nipperus because he's been running uh-huh. some good other races. Yeah. And it's his home, home track. Home so track. I don't know how much that actually bleeds into it, but very curious to see how Nipper goes. Eddie um, Nikita's back in Australia representing New Zealand in the 100? Yep. Well, he, he did represent the world champs, so that's yeah. very much Oh, in. exactly. Yeah, no, we, we know um, that. But, but yeah, um, we've, we've got some really good sprint fields as well in the yeah. sense that, um, you know, Canberra is a hot spot for running extremely fast. Yeah, so Browning's new, having a run. New Mondo Rail. track. Yeah. Um, and it's exciting to see Ron Browning. And obviously when he skipped ACT state champs, we all yeah. sort of had a bit of a hold your breath moment. Thought, oh God, I hope he's all right. Because he did say he had a very injured 2019, um, but still ran very well in Pockets, Some interesting names to the Victorians. You've got Rizzo and also Penny. Yeah, and I think Rizzo is really asking the question, you know, can he yeah. get himself a relay spot? He's running really impressively. Yeah, um, so it's cool to see him transition from pros to back onto the track. Yeah, um, no, all, all round. Yeah, I think if the wind before. plays nice there, that, that continuing battle between Hale and, and Browning and how sort yeah. of how much they can cement themselves sub-10-10. Yeah. 10 10 and who are the other players? This might start... Yeah, sort of how does this relay team yeah. form, you know, yeah. with, without a Trey Williams, you know, yeah. what do you sort of build towards? Yeah. We've got Frayne in the long jump. Matreski yep. also. Yep. Any other standouts there? Or um, I think Darcy Roper is giving this one a miss. He is. Not on the start list as yep. far as I know. Uh, guys like Chad Paris are coming out too for the... the Paris. Yep, yeah, Paris. Uh, women's pole vault. Nina Kennedy is in. Uh, we've got the New Zealander, Olivia Mataggart as mm-hmm. well. So something to look forward to there. Also Liz Parnoff as well. Parnova. Yep. Uh, what else have we got? The men's high jump. Uh, Brandon Stark is is he's back. over. Joel Baden is in that one. As Apparently, well. has been jumping PBs in training. Who's so that, Joel? Brandon Stark. Oh, so Brandon. No, he's in a good good okay. little purple patch. Apparently, yeah. women's two hundred. Lots of the Victorian girls coming out for that one. Actually, quite a few New Zealanders too. Mm-hmm. So you know, people like Jesse Andrew having a run. Uh, ben Boyer would have to start favourite. Would you think, Sean? For the or two. Riley Day, is it? No, there? I'd say Riley Day Riley would Day? be the, the favourite yeah. in the two. Yep. All right, Mia Gross, Figuera. Yeah, plenty, plenty of names there. And plenty I think it, it's just sort of giving people, like people really seem to be, I guess, attacking these track classics with, with purpose. And I know mm. there's not a lot of them and everyone wants to run very fast. So it's cool to see people take hold of that. 
Uh, Jack Bolton's having a go at the 400. <laughs> yeah, he's on quite an atmospheric rise this year since yeah. all schools. He's a sub-48 second guy now at the grand old age of 16. So, yeah, it's, old um, 15, actually, Steve, sorry. Steve Solomon is coming out for that. Luke Stevens in that one. Yep, ran well at the Ballarat Gift the other day. Yeah, and we'll talk about HVC soon, and I think Luke is running there as well. Women's mm. long, and we've got Brooke Stratton coming out. Jumping really well at the yeah, moment. Yeah, she is. So, that, just now, I think with Brooke, it's... You know, as she builds, mm. how do these distances increase as she goes along? Yep. Women's 800, not a bad field there either. So we've got the likes of Bissett, Australian record holder in there, Griffith, who has just been, yeah, tearing up the track. Yeah, yeah. Not afraid of racing, is she? No, it's always interesting when you have an athlete who hasn't raced so much and one that's raced a lot and mm. they sort of meet up and, yeah, see how they go on the on what is a sort of premier 800 metre track. Yeah. I'm really now fascinated to see how Lauren Reed goes after she just tore that 1500 field apart of the track yeah. classic. So, yeah, you know, dropping back down to a distance well, she's pretty comfy at. But thing with Lauren, she also likes doing half marathons and things like that. Yeah, like, <laughs> so the, she's got, she's got, got range. range. She's got range and she's got ticker, which I think is mm. really, really important. Uh, what else have we got going? We've got uh, the women's discus and Kimmy Mulhall's coming out for that one. Uh, women's high jump. This will be interesting. Mm. Eleanor Patterson, Nicola McDermott. So the big players are coming out. Women's yep. 100 being Clay, Janicki. Yeah, Uchi. it's a real showdown in the, yeah. in the hurdles. Teddio, Tadio. Yep. Tisha Willis. Um, yep. It's good to see Tisha um, getting out there and having a go. In the Opens, you know, yeah. In the Opens. She's now of age. Um, out of the junior ranks, yeah. Out of the junior ranks. And, um, yeah, that should be pretty exciting to see. Mm. And Curtis Marshall is in... Back on the runway. Yeah, yeah. So so a few people who've had really big openers to their season back in yeah. uh, back in business in Canberra. Yep, so Canberra is on this Thursday night. So what else have we got in Brisbane? We're in Brisbane, we've got the Maltese, or the Combined Event Champs, as they're calling them. In the women's hep, we've got, uh, from Victoria, we've got Rachel Lindbergh. Uh, Tori West, the Queenslander, uh, is the highest-ranked Australian. Now, we were doing crunching the numbers on this one, Sean. Mm. The, Olympic game, uh, sorry, the Olympic Games qualifier is 64-20. Yep. Uh, West's best is 57-93. And Alicia Burnett is the best-ranked Australian in the world at 69. They'll take 24 into the Olympics. Yeah. Okay, and already nine women internationally have got the score required mm-hmm. to get into the Olympics. So you'd have to say probably a, a bit of a tough ask to get one of the Australian girls in. There's got to be some level of big improvement, I'd say. Yeah, and I think that's obviously difficult with the multi-events because you've got to string together sort of so many perfect elements of your day. Yeah. Now, in the men's though, we've got um, Jubla and is competing this weekend. Cool. Uh, Ash Maloney isn't. Yeah. Uh, so yet again, the qualifier for the Olympics is 83 50 yeah, uh, Jubler's best is eighty two twenty nine. Yep. So he's there, but he is ranked eighteenth in the world. Yeah, and so he's Maloney definitely twenty third. Yeah. Still on the edge there, still a chance. Yeah, and we believe that the Gotsis meet in late May is you know depending. Yeah, they'll go. Well, hopefully go well this yeah. weekend in Brizzy. Uh, depending on weather, I don't know if they're mm. still getting. I think it's going to be better than it has been, but there might still yeah. be some moisture. Yeah, and I, I think that's the thing with Gotsis yeah. as well. Um, that it is sort of the global yep. decaf comp in the sense that just. Everyone turns up for it. Yeah. And it's it's extremely well supported. So you would so assume I would assume Cedric will be there, there. and yeah. we. I guess it's just how many you can cram in, though. Correct. Yeah. Although it being late May, then you, you got a bit know, of time. Yeah. Yeah, you got a bit of time, and yeah. we're not sure what Maloney's up to. We haven't. No, seen much but we were just saying in the office as well that decaf is a bit of a nightmarish event yeah. on qualifying in terms of the field size only being twenty four and, and seven. There's already. really no countries that 
excel yeah. in to the point of having too many qualifiers yeah. for it. So it's a really, really uh, mixed sort of field in terms of nationalities. Yeah. Now, in the women's under 20, we've got Jess McKenzie from Box Hill, 5012, her best. And that mm-hmm. goes in actually as a clear leader in that competition. You've also got Zoe Cunningham from Mentone and Shannon Fraser from Box Hill in that comp which will be good to see. Cool. In the men's under 20, and it, uh, based on uh, entry points or their best going in, going to be a really close one here. Paul Hasbrook, the Victorian, has got 6,800. Just ahead of him on 6,802 is from the ACT, Colby Eddowes. <laughs> so that's, this could be tight. Yeah. And I think they're a reasonable way ahead. Ben James from New South Wales has got a 6,400. Cameron McKenzie from Old Scotch also in that field. Yep. Women's under-18s, uh, Rihanna Clemo from Mentone and Madison McBrien from Box Hill uh, in there. The best going in would be probably Tarling McPhee from Western Australia. In the women's under-17, we've got a few girls in there. and That includes Alana Chapman from Box Hill, Gemma Craddock from Glen Huntley, Ali Kewish from Essendon. But the leaders probably we are looking at a very tight contest here. Lily Tilt from New South Wales and also Eleanor Toza, New South Wales, 42.58 and 42.59, only one point separating them. In the women's under 16, Holly Neuheisen and Mia Skerry, 52.88 is Mia Skerry's. Now, we're hoping that Mia is going to go for Jane Jamison's Australian record at some stage yeah. in this... Um, As one does. Yeah, no, she's... Um, been doing the 800 work with Fort and the group and the 800s have improved um, so she's going also very well in with um, in the long jump uh, so that's where we think the some of the improvements when we're looking at trying to get the record which of the events she's going to get it the eight mm. is looking good uh, the long jump is looking really good and you know we have seen her long jumping into straight long jump comps and going really nicely and also, the shot put's coming along too. It's up to about 14 metres, so she's getting more competent. Yeah, I think there. it was all schools in Perth, even though it was very, very slightly over um, the wind limit. Um, she almost scared the World Under 20 qualifier and for long yeah, jump. She did, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and she's yeah. only, what, 15 yeah. years old? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So this is the under 16 comp. Yeah, uh, so that's pretty wild. Target <laughs> points are 54.86. Yep. So I think this is the one of the ones that we're really going to be looking at is how many you can go and can cool. she pull together the seven events. Mm. Uh, are conditions okay? Are they Yeah, it's a big one as well. Yeah, because yeah. in Bendigo we know they weren't when mm. she did the last comp and she did very well up there. Mm-hmm. So all eyes, all Victorian eyes on it. Mia scary for that one and good luck to Mia. Okay, in the women's under 15, you've got uh, no Victorians, but the leaders there will be Leila, uh, Leila Croker from South Australia mm-hmm. and also Charlize Goody from Queensland. They look like the outliers. And Lester Long from Nutter Waddings in mm. the men's under 15. Uh, he's actually quite a contender here. The best coming <laughs> in is Angus Clues coming from New South Wales. Yeah. And in the men's under-16s, Sam Wellow, one of the Wellow twins from Cryo. He's in there. And yet again, a bit of a contender here. Saxon Lorenz from New South Wales has got a 40-70. Sam's best is 35-54, but as we know, he is improving. And in the men's under-17, Eli Taylor uh, from Box Hill uh, comes in second-ranked, just behind Zaid Kretschmer from South Australia. And finally, the men's under-18s. Uh, we've got Andrew Bull from Casey Gardinia and Noah Oliver from Mentone, who is a fair way ahead of the pack, Sean. He's a big, strong lad, isn't he, Noah? Yeah, he's uh, always had a bit of an advantage in the hurdles, Noah. Uh, I think yeah, one of those kids we saw early on was going to be a bit bigger and um, 
he's obviously a, a pretty strong bloke and uh, he's, he's taken the multi-events really, really well. Good, well, good luck to Noah and also Andrew Bull in that comp. So that is the multi-events over Saturday and Sunday in Brisbane. Great to see the sprints community in Victoria getting behind HVC. High Velocity Club number one. It's going to be down at Duncan McKinnon and it's coming up on the 13th of February. Mm-hmm. So that's the same day as Canberra, yep. I believe. All right, so as I said, it has been supported. We've got some reasonably big fields in the ones, the twos, the fours and the long jump. Excellent. And that is great to see that we have some support. In the women's hundred, you'd be looking at Hannah Bassick, Mieta uh, Russell, yep. Kira San- Santalia, mm-hmm. um, Abby Bradley Power, Alana Grandine, there's Jessica Malat, Kobe Hollihan, mm. some good names coming out there. The men, sorry, we'll go to the women's too. Jesse Andrew, Basic again, Grandine, San- Santalia. So, you know, this is good. They're do- doing the double, uh, or some will. Some may choose to skip an event, we'll find mm-hmm. out. Women's four, Daniela Roman is back, and Grace Goldsworthy, also Louis Bays, Charlie Power. So a few good names there coming through in the women's four. Uh, and in the long, Mia Skerry, the aforementioned Mia Skerry, is coming into that competition. Nice little hit out, I'd say, before she goes to Brizzy. Yep. Uh, Mietta Russell, Clara Grenard, also there, Kiana Sidnall, sorry, Kiani Sidnall. In the men's, in the long, you've got Nathan Deslands, got a best of 7.34, also Amiru. Christina, yep, and Ryan Hatch, Bay Agostino, Aiden Hinson. Big talent. Well, Aiden, Aiden does joke that he's pretty bad at long jump for how good his triple is. So, okay, <laughs> Chloe's probably got him working on the other one. Time he <laughs> got it right. Taylor Willis also in there. Yeah. Uh, for the men's in the hundred, you've got the likes of oh gee, who have we got there? Jackson Bennett having a run. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jacob Caesar. Uh, we've also got uh, Bay Agostino, Tarrant Schneider, right? So. Nice, good fields there. The men's in the two. We've got Michael Romanen, Portali, Di Bernardi, Caesar, Taylor Willis. So depth there as well. And in the 400s, Kev Rasool, Christian Davis having a run, Sean. That'd be interesting. Another interesting one there uh, in the 400 is Adam Pike having a run. Tony Crawford's actually having a race. He's had a much-revived sprint career after his recent pacing uh, appearances, so I think he's very much enjoying his, his new niche. Excellent. Good luck, Crawford. <laughs> so let's get behind HVC. So there will be a second meet at Duncan McKinnon in a few weeks' time. Yep. We've also got Rare Air 5 at Box Hill. Um, that's coming up on the 15th of Feb. And are they doubling with Milers Club? They might be on the 18th as well. I'm not too sure. We'll check into that. Milers Club... The Victorian Mile Championship and also the Higham 800 metres races are going cool. to be run next Tuesday night at Melbourne Uni. So that's the 18th of Feb. Uh, so it is the for the men and women. It's the Victorian Mile Championship, which mm-hmm. is now about 104 years, or 104th <laughs> running. I think yep. for the men. Bit and of prize money on offer. Bit of prize money. So Milers Club have dipped into their pockets. The reason being, a lot of the Milers Club do have the incentive scheme, uh, and if you hit certain marks, like the last one we had, Georgia Isaac mm-hmm. and also Caitlin Adams get some money for hitting certain target times. But 
it hasn't happened much this season. Mainly, well, the first round was a bit of a washout. Yeah. So we decided let's put a couple of grand onto the on the nose. And for the winners, so for the mile championship, five hundred first, three hundred second, two hundred for third. Cool. Doesn't matter what times they run. Yeah. Plus, on top of that, the incentive scheme still operates. Oh, so brilliant! You could take home as much as a thousand. Yeah. And in really, really good news, Athletics Essendon approached the Milers Club and said um, the Heim family and Athletics Essendon yeah. would like to to do something in honour of John and I. I have a feeling this might become an annual thing. Yeah, and that'd be so good. And so the winners of the 800s, the men and women, at um, at Next Milers Club will take home $250. Cool. Uh, donated by both the club and the family. So I think we're going to have some family members there, which is great. Yep. Charlene Rendina is also going to be there on the mm-hmm. night. So we'll probably use Charlene for some, some of the um, presentations. But always a good night, Melbourne Uni. Great track, isn't it? Jim, you must enjoy your time at the uni. Yeah, the that track. nice hockey field in the centre. Don't start us on the hockey <laughs> field with the big black fence. It's, a, it's a, <laughs> a, a commentator's nightmare, but uh, <laughs> certainly the atmosphere that we had. Have you ever been to our mile champs? Probably haven't. No. Oh, yeah. I've, yeah, had a watch before. Yeah, it's, a, it's a good, it's good a nice event. Night. Yeah, it's a nice night. If we get a, a cracking night weather-wise, it's, it's probably the highlight meet of the, the year to me. So. Mm. You know, it's a, it's a big one. So that's on next Tuesday night. And then we've got the AV Throwers are back. They're having mm-hmm. their fourth meet at Doncaster on the 23rd. All right. So that's what's coming up. Jemima Montag, been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Did you enjoy the experience? You've done a, a yeah. podcast or two before, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, I think um, one thing you've now got to get used to in your life is media commitments. <laughs> yeah. Do you enjoy it? I might need... Um, to upgrade from my mum being my agent to <laughs> <laughs> getting a Well, I've got a man you can talk to. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, there's not many in Australia and you're sitting uh, across the table from one of them. Uh, but, yeah, do you enjoy the media stuff? Does it come natural? Yeah, I've always really enjoyed public speaking. Um, I had a lot of opportunity through Wesley um, at school and... Yeah, it's it's fun to. You're a bit of, bit of a natural. Yeah, yet again, not trying to pump your tyres up too much, but um, yeah, as far as the interviewing goes, um, I haven't had to do much here. You just just <laughs> let your rip wind her up and let her go, and that's that's actually a really good talent to have. Good skill to have. It is a good skill to have because, as we know, with athletics, because we're a low priority sport for uh, much of the the press and the, the mainstream. Mm. Every four years. Every <laughs> no, every well, in every high, two and a bit. Every two, uh, comp games actually gets an inordinate amount of press yes. generally. So that's why it's good that you got that gold medal sitting in your back pocket. Um, <laughs> but it is a skill. Yeah, you need to be able to develop your own profile, your own personality, and um, I think luckily you've well, not luckily. I think you've sculpted this as well, and uh, it's a good attribute to have. So it's been great to have you on board. Yeah, it's been lots of fun. Thanks. Good. Okay. So, Sean, next episode, we're not sure who we're trying to get. We're working on it, aren't we? Not sure yeah, we've got one rather exciting guest that we'll look to confirm shortly. Yep. So we'll, we'll try and keep the trend going of a, of a guest per episode. Yeah, because <laughs> listeners will probably notice we haven't done many interviews at the track place. Or we haven't done any. We've, mm. you know, we've been putting the... In the, the operational uh, sense. You're on the field. I was commentating. So. Yeah, it made it a bit hard. So yeah. we'll endeavour to get a few interviews at trackside but yeah. it is good to have um, the special guests in and to spend a good amount of time Definitely. so we're not rushing and um, and I just loved was eating your words today Jemima it was just <laughs> awesome and particularly as we said that last 10 minutes when we got onto some of those really deep issues mm. uh, that face females and males in our sport I think that was well handled and um, yeah, compliment to you 
for being out there. And now, in some ways, you know, you've got to be careful where you position yourself on. You don't necessarily want to be this big advocate to, you know, you're getting all this... Because what can happen then is people then come to you with their stories. Mm. And, you, you know, you are now an Olympic athlete. You've got to worry about you. So, yeah, so just be <laughs> careful. That's old man's advice there. But yeah. just be a little bit careful with, you know, where you position and how you, um, you know, move forward for that. But it was great that you were able to talk about it and talk about it very honestly. Mm, yeah. So thank you so much. Thanks, Sean. We'll be back again in two weeks' time. Not a problem, Tim. We'll uh, we'll see everyone in a week and a bit, I guess. Yep, we will. <laughs>